Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 571, air date April 14th, 2020. Peace, peace, family. We're back with another live stream. I'm coming on here smiling because I'm very excited, very pleased, and very honored to have the borderline Jesus Christ of medicine with us, Dr. Shiva. Okay, and so nobody can represent themselves better than themselves. So I'm going to do my best to give y'all a, a brief understanding of who this is. If y'all haven't heard me ripping and rant, ranting about this man for a week, uh, this is Dr. Shiva. He is a, a, a innovative, intellectual, borderline medical superhuman. Okay. Why do I say this? Because he actually uses his brain to help people the way that consciousness was intended to interact with other living organisms. And so I'm going to allow this man to introduce himself. He's running for U.S. Senate. He's for the people. Uh, In this day and time, okay, I don't have to go into detail. In this day and time with so much mud on people's shoes, you don't find somebody with a cleaner sandal than this. And so with that being said, this is Dr. Shiva, the inventor of email at 14, which he will go into detail with, Uh, the inventor of Cytosolve. The, he he's he, he's taken it. He's he's taken information in the political realm to a height that it that it just it it is mandatorily. Uh, I mean, excuse me. There's a mandatory need for it to be addressed. The information cannot be refuted. The science is there. The intellect is there. The the passion, the willpower is there. Ladies and gentlemen, this is potential. You no, excuse me. Future U.S. Senate. I'm manifesting this one. This is future U.S. Senate of Massachusetts. Dr. Shiva, thank you very much for coming on my platform. Thank, thanks for having me, Farrow. Um, thanks for that very sweet introduction. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, so look, um, you know, let's start with where I'm right now, and then we'll go into a bunch of directions. But you know, everyone should know that I'm a. My name is Dr. Shiva Adre. I'm an MIT PhD. You know, I work as a scientist. I'm an engineer. I'm an educator. But most importantly, I've always been a fighter, Farrow, throughout my entire life, and I've had to do that. Uh, for various reasons, because uh, you know, India had a caste system, and I and as a one of my youngest memories was uh, the experiences of that caste system in India. And then the other experience I had was watching my grandmother, who used traditional systems of medicine to heal people. Yes, so, and in a fundamental way, politics, revolutionary politics, and medicine were always with with me. So it's very interesting. Almost fifty, whatever, I'm fifty six years, fifty seven years old now, that. I find myself in a very interesting position where both of those emerge together, right? Yes, With this whole coronavirus stuff. And my entire journey has been across, you know, as a, in many ways as a fighter, many ways as a scientist, in many ways as someone who's loved medicine. Um, but that's what brings me here. So when I'm running for U.S. Senate, you, you, the issue is that Senate race is not about you know, winning a Senate seat. It's about creating a powerful movement, which is what's happened. People all over the world are watching our election. People all over this country are watching it because people have never had for a long time one of their own fight for them. Yes, sir. They've never had one of us fight for us, right? I mean, I come from everyday working people like you do and others listening. I come from, you know, working class people in New Jersey. And I come from you know, farmers where my grandparents were, or people in Bombay and in India, right? Everyday hardworking people like my grandparents. And what we have is today we created a world where the governance or the people who run us are a bunch of, frankly, 
you know, these lawyer lobbyists, 70% of Congress is lawyer lobbyists and they're all scumbags, okay? They right. do not care for everyday people. They All they learn is manipulation, 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 and they think they're so freaking smart. And we'll talk about what's going on in Massachusetts. And those people need to be destroyed. They're the same people who, you know, uh, are the front men of big pharma. They fundamentally care for, you know, power, profit, and control. They do not care for truth, freedom, and health. And it's time that we as people all over this world and in this country realize that we are the people. And there's actually very few of them. And the only reason they get away is because they manipulate a bunch of other sheep. But the everyday people who work with their hands, who actually solve things, who invent things, we're the ones who deserve uh, to basically be the people who, who move things forward, who move history forward to a golden age. These people want to move to a dark age where it's it's 0.0001% of them who run it and they despise us. They actually have massive hatred for everyday people. You know, one of my um, great heroes, you may see this book here, was Malcolm X, okay? Now, if you look at the history of Malcolm X, and I'll tell you, this book uh, is a very interesting book. This book was given to me my, by my high school teacher in the ninth grade. I went to a very interesting school, public schools, and my teacher, uh, what's his name? George Schmidt, who was also the baseball coach, he had a view that it didn't matter if you aced all the exams, you got A's. Like, you could get A plus on everything. You had to do an extra credit problem set, okay? Sure. Or an extra credit to get, even get an A. Right. And so he had a list of books and he said, you have to do, in a, I, mean, I was an A plus student, but I have to do something else to get the A, otherwise I'd get a B, you know, I'm very competitive. So the book I chose is, you know, the book of Malcolm X, okay? And it's the autobiography of Malcolm X. And if you read the story of Malcolm X, he was actually one of us. But those people in power imposed Martin Luther King as a leader because he was acceptable to the deep state. It was not acceptable to have Malcolm X as a leader, okay? It was acceptable to have Martin Luther King because he did just enough and he could be controlled and he gave a speech of, I have a dream. Well, we don't, you know, dreams are interesting. We care about reality, all right? Okay. So what I'm trying to say is that historically what has happened in the world is that the leaders of people have always been ousted and subsumed by the establishment. They always figure out who their acceptable leaders are. You know, Gandhi in India, the guy was a racist. He didn't care for the Indian people, but they manufactured him. They manufactured leaders like Obama, okay? And what we have the opportunity with what has been creating for a long time, this is not, you know, my coming here on your show and all the things that didn't just occur overnight. This has been something I've been working on all my life, man, hard work. And there's a lot of other people who work damn hard for their survival. And that's who we need to support because the people work with their hands, their minds and create stuff. The creators should, who should run the world, not those people who are leeches, the producers versus the parasites. And that's what the opportunities, that's what our election is about. It's not a freaking Senate election. It's an election. It's a revolutionary movement for truth, freedom and health. And they are so scared about us. And, but, the, but the issue is there's something that's resonating to people all over the world. That's why millions of people are watching these videos that I've been putting out. Because people in their deep, deep self, which yearns for light, which yearns for spirit, has had enough of these guys. You know, They finally hear some authentic stuff. They finally hear truth. People are starving for it. And that's why 
I think we have a huge opportunity. That's why we must win in Massachusetts. I got to get on the ballot. These three lawyer lobbyists, two in the Democratic Party and Republican Party, don't even want to get me on. The mainstream media doesn't even report on me when I'm the most prolific candidate out there. And that's what's going on. So what people need to understand is that we live in a very important time. We live in a time when there's massive, massive darkness and evil. But at the same time, there's massive, massive light. And both are taking place. And it's freaking, there's no gray area anymore. It's like black and white. And the people who want to be in this gray area, they're frankly in the dark area. Okay? Let them go over there. You can't have two masters. And that's what uh, is going on right now. It's a very, very powerful time in the universe. And people need to understand that we have a we have a uh, a destiny that we can fulfill, but it's not just given to us. It's going to happen by people recognizing that truth does exist. You know, the sun doesn't go around the earth. Okay, and these people try to make bullshit up. They try to make up lies. They try to make up the fact that the immune system is so weak, or that CO two is a pollutant. Or, you know, they try to make enough lies using their priesthood you know, who are like the Sadducees and the Pharisees at the time of Christ. These people are the academic elites, they're prostitutes, essentially the prostitute lies, and they work with the fake news media. So we live in a very interesting world. Nothing has really changed yet. There's a huge opportunity for explosive change. That's right. Beautiful introduction. You know, nothing less than great as we expected. Uh, family, if y'all see me looking down, I, I, I have a you know, you, you, you got to come. I always come right, but you got to come all the way right when you got somebody like Dr. Shiva on here. So I got my little list of uh questions and, and points that we're going to be navigating through. And the first thing that I want to uh, or the first question that I'm going to ask Dr. Shiva is going to be in regards to him creating the email. But for those of you, you know, who uh, may not be familiar with him, I'm going to tell you why this is such a powerful creation for me personally. It's not only that it was created at 14 years old, okay? But for me, it's very inspirational because I'm not, let's say, jumping on Dr. Shiva's, you know, frequency train. But for somebody like me who buys chemistry books to read without anybody telling me and studies biology and genetics without anybody telling me, this should be motivation for anybody, not just in the country, but in the world to know that you have the ability to manifest and create using your intellectual capacity. And we're sitting on this live stream with somebody who is a living testament, who, who, who who's basically the living testimony of this. And so the information he's about to divulge to you and, you know, the uh, obstacles uh, that, you know, has that he's basically spoken of, spoken about previously, not just in this interview, but other interviews that he's overcome to not just create the email, but to get where he is today is going to just further attest to a statement that he made in a previous interview, not on this channel, but another one, that the American people are the innovators of this country. And so he's a huge inspiration for me. Y'all know I always go hard, but that was like a, a Nas tank in the car that I already have, which is a Lamborghini. And so I want to uh, now ask Dr. Sheba, uh, even though I'm familiar with the story, I'm going to ask you as if I'm not, what was your motivation and inspiration for creating the email at 14 years old? And how did you do it? Yeah. So um, what I want to talk about, you know, I have some slides I can share with you. So two things. That, so the, the invention of email. Yes, sir. 
is really the is really not just a, it took me a while to process all this you know because it was a quite of an interesting journey one was inventing email there was a period of time where i didn't talk about it then there was a period of time 30 years later where it all came out in the public you know when my mother went uh when my mother in a beautiful suitcase that saved everything three months before she was going to die all the documents and the artifacts you know showing what i did back in 1978 and then it went into the smithsonian and then it created this shitstorm because of the fact of where did that innovation come from? Right. And one of the interesting aspects of the invention of emails, why was there even a controversy? Okay. Why is there even a freaking controversy? When I wrote the code, as I'll talk about, that was a manifestation of the system called the inner office mail system. That's right. Put it in the electronic form, named it email, a term I created, and got the first US copyright. There's no blacker, uh, there's no gray area. Uh, yeah, so in fact, if you click on that right side over there, right, um, on the far right, you know, I'll go into it, but I wanna walk through this. So what is email, you know? And this was something we built after we won a Gawker Media lawsuit. And I wanna walk through that, Pharaoh, because I think this is one of the most important parts. I mean, uh, there's a whole movie to be made here, but I'm gonna share my screen here, if you don't mind. Yes, sir. Um, I, I'm going to walk people through this because the story of the invention of email is really the story of the American dream. And it's a story, the fact that these people uh, at various media companies, m many of them, these uh, liberal aristocrats who talk about wanting to help the black person or help the poor people, they're the ones who got so angry when the facts about this came out. That's what's fascinating. It wasn't everyday people. It was actually uh, the people who you would think uh, should, let me, oops, let me just do this one second. If yeah, you right. don't mind. Um, I just want to set it up so I can show you guys this and I can share this with you. Um, this was a talk I gave. There's some, there's some good slides in here, which really walk through the story well, but um, I know I've shared it with you before, but I think it's, it's good to probably go through it. Let me, um, I think I can share this now, right? Yes, sir. Take your time. Yeah. I, I think it go here, share screen. Yep. Application, there we go. Okay. So I have some slides here. So, you know, I grew up, let me just go here. So, you know, I grew up, you know, when I was a 14 year old kid, there's my mom in the middle, my, my dad. Uh, but I grew up uh, in a India. This is me in New Jersey, but I grew up in an India where my grandparents were poor village farmers. I think I may even have a, picture here of my grandparents one second if you don't mind we don't mind at all yeah yeah so here we go so let me just share this here so i grew up at a at a, at a point in history uh where i had the chance to experience two different worlds um there you go so i ex you can bring it up now pharaoh do you see it i gotta share it again. okay yeah um so i grew up in these two worlds you know i grew up in a world of bombay you know, which doesn't look like this when I grew up, right? But this one, a more modern picture. But I also grew up in this deep village in deep South India. And uh, where my, uh, and these are sort of the scenes from that. You know, my grandparents were poor village farmers. My grandmother would go out in the fields and she was like an indigenous looking person. I'll show you a picture of her. Um, but, you know, coming back home with leeches, planting rice and corn. That was my grandmother. Here's a picture of in her Sunday best. But um, she used to, you know, be able to read people's faces and be able to diagnose what kinds of ailments they had, diagnose their body as a system, 
And there's a whole system of Indian medicine which allows us to do this. So, you know, from my grandmother, I saw her empirically, you know, helping lots and lots of people. But I also grew up in an India which had a caste system. And so when my parents came here in 1978, I was very, very motivated to do really well because I noticed what was going on in India in those days, right? That I was very fortunate. So by the time I was 14, I had gone to New York University. Um, you can bring back the video and I come back to this, Farah, if that's okay. So I had gone back um, to, you know, I had, uh, I had uh, had the opportunity to go to NYU. So 1978, so if you can go back to 1978, what was the world in 1978, okay? Vietnam War had just ended, right? Uh, my parents had come here in 1970, and I was a seven-year-old kid, 1978, I'm about 14 years old, okay? And one of the important things to understand was that was at a time when a computer would take up my entire house, right? Massive, right? right. Computers were huge machines. Things were done in, uh, you know, these typewritten computer cards. Who used computers? It wasn't you or me or everyday people definitely not a, a secretary or woman. It wasn't that accessible. You had to know computer code. Um, you had to be able to use punch cards. And typically the guys in white lab coats, if you can think about that, are the ones who use computers. There were typically scientists in university settings. But in 1978, um, I was one of those kids who finished calculus by the ninth grade. Not because, I mean, I was smart, but I worked my butt off. I used to do problems until two, three in the morning because I wanted to be the best because my mother told me that it doesn't matter if you get, a, a, you know, you're going to have to get an A++ to be recognized that you even got a B. It's an interesting thing. My mom told me, right? You're going to have to do far better than everyone else because of the way the world is. So I would do 10 times more work than others, Pharaoh. Okay. So by the time I was in ninth grade, I had finished calculus, which was given to the high school seniors. And um, my mother saw a little paper clipping. And, and I had no more math courses to do in high school. And it said that this professor at NYU was going to select 40 kids across the United States. His name is Henry Mullish. He passed away about three years ago. I gave his memorial. I went to Israel to do that. Um, but for, uh, 40 kids were going to get selected across the United States to get to go to NYU. This was huge. To the Corant Institute of Mathematical Science. So that's like you're going to you know heaven in, in the world of computing. Because right. the Corant right. Institute... As was known as one of the centers of computer science. So I was, you know, fortunate. I got selected, even though I was two years younger. It was only for juniors and seniors. I got to go and I would take the, you know, train as a 14-year-old kid into New York. And um, I graduated number one out of those 40 kids. Worked my butt off. Ten, you know, we used to go in at 5 a.m. I didn't, I don't think I got home until 10 p.m. Okay. And this was taking the path train, if you've ever taken it, from Newark all the way into New York City and coming back. And one of the interesting things was that happened at that time was there was this African-American black guy who was watching me take the train and he worked as a foundry worker. In those days, he was working where he would actually pour bronze in these foundries and make beautiful sculptures. He was a guy who poured the bronze. So one day he took me to see this, it's quite extraordinary. You're melting bronze and you're making these beautiful sculptures. Anyway, he said, you know, you shouldn't be he goes, you shouldn't be going back and forth like this. You're a kid. And he became my bodyguard, okay? Yes, and it, it, eventually a close friend. But people come to your interesting ways. Anyway, that experience, I graduated top of the class. I come back. You know, I still have high school left. But a teacher changed all the rules. My parents were very loving people. A, a independent studies teacher changed the rules, fought 
with the superintendent of schools and said, this kid needs to be able to do other things. He's being constrained. You got to let him do other things. Right. And my mom had found a professor at Rutgers Medical School, what is now known as Rutgers in Newark, New Jersey. You got to understand most people still to this day are afraid to go to Newark, particularly white folks, okay? Um, because there was a lot of crime there. And frankly, they're afraid of black people, okay? Um, but my school changed the system so I could take, I could go in the middle of high school to work full-time as a, so I got a job as a full-time research fellow in Newark, New Jersey, in the small medical college. And my job, you can go to the screen here, was initially because I could program, uh, was to use the computer to see if I could figure out why babies were dying in the sleep, it's called SIDS. So babies have these different sleep patterns and uh, another great researcher there got me access to all the data of 48 hour continuous sleep patterns of babies and when they stop breathing, right? So I had their data and I was using very powerful algorithms that I wrote by hand, knew the math that typically you don't learn until graduate school. And I wrote some very powerful ways of analyzing that data to predict, because if you could predict when a baby was gonna die in its sleep, you could shake the crib, okay, ahead of it, and you can wake it up. And if you wake up the baby, you can stop its death. So that's what I was doing as a kid. In fact, uh, uh, before I came to MIT, I published a paper and presented it uh, after I published it and after MIT, I presented it in Finland. Okay, so that was before I came to MIT, you know, the, the supposed institution of great science. And we'll talk about that. But the other thing I was given the opportunity to do, by the way, I used to go to work here as a regular kid with my briefcase. I had my little table and Dr. Michelson, an extraordinary guy who's still alive, he's the head of high performance computing there. He said, look, I'm gonna treat you like an adult. You get access to all this equipment, but you'll be treated like an equal in the small medical college. So here I had a great mentor, a loving family, and this school teacher who fought so I could go work there, Pharaoh, right? So you had fighters, people who really cared. And he said, look, we have this thing called the inner office mail system. And the inner office mail system in those days, it looked like this. And so young people, if you want to understand this, so you can go expose these really nasty people when they say, you know, and they created the controversy about email. There is no controversy. It's black and white. So let's start with the basics. Right. In those right. days, in every office, in an organization, you had a secretary. So if you were the boss, Pharaoh, you always had a secretary. It was always a woman. And it was relatively sexist in those days, right? Women could do, be a job, uh, could only do, be a secretary. They could be a nurse. They could be a housewife or a, um, uh, a teacher, Okay. So in this, in these, every office, there are many, many offices, in every office was a secretary. That secretary owned a desk, and on that desk was this thing called a typewriter. And to the left of her, as you're seeing here, was an inbox, an outbox, a drafts box. Behind her were folders. Underneath her desk was a trash can. On her desk was something called the paper clips whiteout. So she would write a thing called a memo, like one of these memos, and they looked very interesting. They actually had a structure, you know, to, from, subject. Sometimes you would have a carbon copy. So if I was writing you a memo, I would, uh, let's say you're my boss, I'm saying, hey, hey Farrah, I want to hire someone, and I may CC the hiring manager, you say? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that was literally a carbon paper. You take the original paper, put the carbon paper, put the other paper and you type away. So you got the original and a carbon. 
And then sometimes you may have a BCC. I may want to BCC your boss. So you'd have to put another one and so on. And then I may attach your re the person's resume. So this was a complete package. So you have to understand this isn't simply exchanging stupid little text messages, which some of those mainframes could do that, you know, from point to point, little text message. Hey, Bob, how you doing? That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about this is the entire system that I was asked to convert to the electronic form. By the way, these little memos with their attachments would be put into these little envelopes with the little drawstrings, and then they would put it into these pneumatic tubes, and these pneumatic tubes went all around the place, okay? So this was how mail, this was a social media. You know, if you were, if you were negotiating a contract, you would forward it to a bunch of people, everyone read it, and this was how business got done in the inner office mail system. So the inner office mail system was really the guts of business, whether it was in that medical school or in a prime minister's office or government, this was the inner office mail system. So the key thing you wanna understand is the word system. We're talking about a bunch of interlocked parts that had to be connected together, the inbox, the outbox. And by the way, when the boss would come to the secretary, he would dictate to her, hey, secretary, take a note, dictate, okay? Blah, 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 she'd type away. She'd put it in the drafts folder. Remember the drafts folder we held now in email? It was a physical folder. He would then review it with his red ink and then give it back to her. She'd finally type up the final copy, put it in her string and it would go in the outbox and so on. And then when she got records, she'd file it. Uh, sometimes she'd throw stuff away. And you could also do registered mail in those days. If you wanna just bring back the video for a second, Paro. So registered mail was an interesting concept. I wanna send you a letter, but I wanna make sure you actually got it, a receipt, you know, a re return receipt. So you gotta understand, and I have to have the address book. So all of these things are almost a, a 200 different features. I had to convert all of those to the electronic version. Why? Because the secretaries were not gonna move from their typewriter, the inner office mail system to this new thing. Remember these people had never, never seen a, a computer before. And it had to have all of those features. Every part needed to be in there. And that's what I wrote in 40,000 lines of Fortran code, okay, which was not designed, we can go back to the, which was not designed for this kind of stuff in 8K of memory. So I had to actually write the memory management system as a 14-year-old kid. Had to figure all this out. No mama and papa to help me out like Bill Gates had, by the way, okay? Wrote all this code. And I and what was interesting was I called that system email. By the way, everything had to be in uppercase in those days. If you used a computer, everything was uppercase characters because of the LED screens. In fact, all the variables had to be in uppercase in the Fortran language. Six characters, you, you notice the maximum number of variables was six, but the operating system only allowed five characters, okay? That's why I called it email. It was not an obvious term. I named that term. I was the one to create it. So I created all the code. 14 year old kid, every feature. I held the seminars, people would come. Dr. Michelson talks about this. It wasn't an esteemed scientist, it was a 14 year old kid training hundreds of people how to use this. And I called it email, so I was a software engineer, I was customer service, I was a trainer, and I had to fix all the bugs. So wrote the code, called, called it email. Then what happened was, when I arrived, and by the way, this is in one of the local newspapers. There's my teacher, Stella Oleksiak, Dr. Michelson in the background. This is my math teacher. And I was sharing with them what I'd created, okay? Now, 
I, I did this one, one of the Westinghouse science awards. Okay. If you go to that page that you were up on, yes, we'll come back. To, actually, we'll come back to that, Farrah. Okay. So when I created this, I, I remember when I came to MIT on the front page, if you can bring back the video on the front page of MIT was a article in September 2nd, 1981. I remember this date. So I had come to MIT, by the way, didn't know about MIT until about two weeks before I applied. Okay. My high school was about 4,000 kids. Me and my sister were the only, you know, a darkies there. Okay. There was no other dark skinned kids there. And no one wanted to really help me. I mean, I aced everything. No one told me about MIT. Unbelievable, isn't it? Oh, no one told me. No one told me until, interesting enough, my dear mother was always helping people. She'd met these two women at the local supermarket, these two Indian women. One of the women uh, husband or kicked her out of the house and they were looking for a place to stay. And so she said, hey, you can stay in our basement. We have a little basement there, one bedroom. You can use it. She felt bad because my mother had grown up where her father threw her out of the, so, you know, my mother had sympathy always for orphans and people. So right. one of the women had a boyfriend and he, uh, two weeks before I had to apply for MIT, brought me this little uh, brochure and he said, hey, you should apply to this place. And I said, what is that? And it said the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I go, that looks like a mental institute. I said, I'm not applying to that. It looked too, you know, the dome. So anyway, two weeks later, he wouldn't leave. I think a couple of days later, and I filled it out and I got accepted to MIT. And I remember coming there. I said, these people look crazy on the orientation. I didn't want to come because I was an athlete also. I was on a division three halfback soccer team. I played um, baseball. So I didn't want to come because these people look sick to me. They, they looked sort of dysfunctional. So anyway, my one of my teachers convinced me that I should go. And I know why they did because the school got points and their stature went up if the more people went to a place like MIT, right? So I come because I liked Boston because she said it's a very eclectic place. So when I came on September 2nd, uh, 1981, there was the official MIT newspaper on the front page of the newspaper, you know, 1,040 kids came into MIT and you gotta understand MIT is very competitive to get in. And three students were highlighted in the newspaper and the newspaper's up. You, if you guys gotta wanna want to go to inventorofemail.com, you'll see all the artifacts. And it highlighted me among these three kids for me having created this email system and me being brought up to be very humble. You know, that's when I learned you also have to not be so humble sometimes. Um, said, oh, wow, this is cool. They recognize me. And that winter, I, I was invited to the president's house because they invited some noteworthy of the incoming class. Wow. And he had heard about what I'd done. President of MIT, Paul Gray, who was science advisor to Reagan, and he said, you know, it's too bad you can't patent software, okay? So 1976, 1978, when I created email, you couldn't patent it. You couldn't even copyright it. There was no laws because no one knew what software was, okay? These uh, idiots in Congress didn't know what software is. However, which I didn't know in 1980, the, the Software Act, I'm sorry, the, the Copyright Act of 1980, 1976, the Copyright Act of 19 was amended to become the Computer Software Act of 1980, which said that you could use copyright law, Pharaoh, to protect software inventions, okay? Which means because people thought it was code, like it was written work. The problem with copyright law is it doesn't protect your ideas, right? How, you know, the inbox, outbox folders, how I put that together in electronic version. It only protects your line by line of code, okay? 
But anyway, I didn't know about this. When I went to MIT, Dr. Gray said, hey, you should copyright it because the Supreme Court is not recognizing software patents. Again, my parents weren't lawyers. I literally wrote away. You had to put it in an envelope. And then I got the copyright uh, you know, forms. I went back and forth. You had to send in all your code. So all my code became public. And you also have to understand when I was working at Rutgers Medical School, we weren't like secretive like Apple or IBM. We were, you know, like this is like cool stuff. IBM came in, HP saw our stuff. We were like open source. Everyone could see what we were doing. So anyway, based on what Dr. Gray said, I filled out the copyright forms. And if we go back to the the uh, the graphic here, um, and I submitted it on August 30th, 1982. You know, I think I was 17 at the time. Um, I get back the copyright notice officially recognizing me as the inventor of email. Okay. So just to review, wrote all the code for all this stuff, all these features, called it email, named it email, and have the copyright. Recognizing me as the inventor of email at a time when copyright was the only way to protect software inventions. All right, Faros. So the point is, there's no controversy here. It's black and white. Right, right. Literally. Literally. I defined email. Email is not simple text messaging. Email is the inter I called it email. If I build a car and I use the word C-A-R, I'm sorry, I'm the guy who built the car and defined what a car is. Right, right. So, so let's just, let's just let people just think about that for a second, Farrow. That's right. That's right. Let's just think about it. I converted the entire system, has every feature. And by the way, all this code went into the Library of Congress. And shortly, two, three years later, you see other people doing it. Remember, copyright law doesn't protect your actual connections, only that. But the point is, someone would have created email, but I was the first to do it, period. That's right. Period. Okay. So now let's talk about what happened. I go to MIT, okay? And then many years later, so I go to MIT and, you know, had a, had a great career there, went in and out, did four degrees, started many different companies, was on the front page of MIT for inventing many other things, Pharaoh. You know, I created a company called Echo Mail, okay? Grew to around 250 million in value to analyze email. It was my second life with email. I couldn't get away from it for the Clinton White House. Um, and then... I was on the front page of MIT when I won my Fulbright. I was on the front page of MIT for other awards I got, you know. But in 2011, something interesting happened, okay? My dear, remember, all, during all that time, Pharaoh, I never promoted this, okay? I'm not out there with Bill Gates's mother on the United Way with connections to IBM, with PR companies, no. I remember my interest was medicine. So I went in and out started seven different companies. But in 2011, something interesting, unfortunate happened. My dear mother, I think it was September 2011 or October, um, I find out, um, if you bring the video back, that she's dying of pulmonary fibrosis, okay? Wow. Pulmonary fibrosis is a horrible disease, your lungs scar. My mom, when we first came to New Jersey, had worked in an asbestos mill as a QA person, a factory worker. And, you know, that had caught up with her because these particles don't go away. So... I find out that she's dying of pulmonary fibrosis. And in a suitcase, my mother, if you go back to the, uh, the, the graphic, had beautifully saved all of this in a beautiful Samsonite. So you see all the code, the copyright, all of this, and she gave it to me. And, and there's my mom. And what happened was Huffington Post did an article called the email anniversary, August 30th, 1982, okay? No controversy there. 
Then Doug Ameth, by the way, a great technical, the senior technical editor of Time Magazine, the only guy, so this is now, what, 33 years later after its invention. Um, a friend of mine, David said, hey, Shiva, you invented email. He invites Doug. Doug reviews all of this and he writes a beautiful article called The Man Who Invented Email, okay? No controversy. Then um, the Smithsonian contacts me. The National Museum of American History wanted all of these items to go into the Smithsonian because to them it was a treasure trove and I was sort of not knowing whether to give it to them or to the Computer History Museum. And as you can see, a lot of the stuff was getting old and I didn't want it to be in my house. And it was a, it was a big honor, right, for this to go in the Smithsonian. So in August, uh, on February 16th, 2012, three months later, uh, it goes into the Smithsonian. And there was, they had a beautiful donation ceremony. My mom had just passed away. And uh, this and a young African-American reporter, Emmy Kalawale, writes this article called B.A. Shiva, uh, Inventor of Email Honored by Smithsonian. You see that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So you would think this should be an occasion for celebration of the American dream. We would think. Well, what happens? Huh? I said we would think. Yeah. And remember, at that time, I was running my company, Cytosolve. I just come back from India after doing other work. I was teaching a lecture course at MIT for nothing. Unlike Elizabeth Warren charging people, it was the most popular elective teaching people a course called systems visualization. Right when this goes in, watch what happens. This article comes out by a company called Gawker Media. Do you remember them? Gizmodo? They um, call me an imposter, a asshole, a dick, okay? Um, <laughs> And, and articles like this come out. I want everyone to see this. You see what that says? What the F? He could be hanged by his curry stained, uh, what, fingernails as he shouts, let me down. What is that, Sahib? I yep. was doing no harms. Let me down. And I will not invent for you a nice uh, Vindaloo chocolate cake and then lined up against a wall and strangled with a dahati. Dothi is what people wear. So this was the kind of stuff that occurred. This is not 1942, okay, Jackie Robinson. This is 2012. Wow. The thought, this is a kind of shit that, the shit storm that took place. The thought of someone like me, after I got all my degrees at MIT, that's why I bring back the video. People need to understand this. You got to understand. Here, I've gone to MIT. If you bring back the video for a second, um, I've gone to MIT done all these amazing degrees, won every major research award, won a Fulbright, was teaching a class. But the day it went into the Smithsonian, which is like a new skull was found in Africa, because during those 33 years when I didn't promote myself, the military industrial complex had subverted the story. And we're, we're going to go into that, okay? And that's the real essence here that subverted the story that email was invented by them in their little triangle of the military industrial academic complex, not in the triangle of a loving family, you know, a mentor in Newark, New Jersey, and a teacher. You see, there's two competing triangles here. Right. One is on the outskirts and one is the insiders. And by the way, I was part of that when I was at MIT for those 30 some odd years, right? Inventing, I was on the front page of all, because I was their golden boy, right? They could preach, oh, we're into inclusivity and diversity. So let's go to this. Let's go back here. So it's quite fascinating. I, I hope I'm not boring you here. No, no, no. Listen, I'm I'm fully intrigued. This is the most yeah. quiet so, on here. Go ahead. Now what happens? People go to Wikipedia 
and start saying this guy. I mean, I had, if you go to my Wikipedia page before then, I'm listed as a, uh, as an inventor and a scientist and all these places, they start trashing my Wikipedia page. Wow. Okay? Try to destroy me. And look at this Wikipedia editor reaches out in the middle of this firestorm. Thousands of calls come into MIT saying this guy should be fired. He's a fraud. He's a charlatan. Unbelievable, man. All my, all my four degrees meant nothing. All my honors meant nothing. And if you see what this Wikipedia editor wrote to my assistant, he goes, I seem to have stepped into a mess by accident. As an experienced Wikipedia editor, I had a look at the email article and was surprised that you hadn't received credit. Since I've had a great deal of experience writing Wikipedia articles, I got right to work and added several suitable additions to provide credit to your contributions. Right away, my edits were deleted without discussion, not edited to improve them, but just flat out deleted. This is the kind of behavior an editor encounters when in editing an article on the Second Amendment, abortion, or extremely hot topics. The response to my edits has included personal attacks, calling me ignorant, reckless, and the like. Although most editors uh, editors have been, le been less insulting than that, they've generally been aggressive and rapidly deleting my editions. Let's come back to video. So what's going on here? So what's fundamentally going on is a new skull is found in that resets the origin of an invention, not from them, but from its true origin. And in fact, you see since that time, people start trying to give credit to other people. They start rewriting all the history. You'll see all the edits on the page when it's so freaking black and white. Yeah, this okay, is now, huh? I said, this is ridiculous. Exactly, now, now watch this. Who was behind this? This little bunch of academic dweebs who call themselves computer historians. And, and there's a really racist uh, schmuck there called uh, Haig. And he had said, this guy's a fraud, you know, because you know why? These guys built his career because he had written the story of email. The problem is, Pharaoh, when these stories get written, typically the inventor dies like a Tesla, and then they can rewrite it. The problem is I was still alive. So they were sort of screwed. And I wasn't willing to be a good Indian, you know, shaking my head. Okay, Sahib, you know, sitting in the lotus position and saying, yeah, I'll take it on, you know, up, up somewhere. Right? right. I wasn't willing to do that. Okay. And you'll understand why. And what you find is these historians were attacking me. Why? You, you know this company, Raytheon? I've heard of it. I'm not. I, I'm okay. Not so Raytheon is a number one, top three defense company in the world. Okay. Okay. And in, you have to understand, in 2008, they had bought a company called BBNN Technologies, which always try to claim they invented the internet, try to claim everything. Okay. They bought this company and they rebranded their company with the at logo as though they were the inventors of email. Why? Because missile sales were going down and what they the future was cybersecurity, spying on everyone. So all the three major defense companies, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman and General Dynamics are, had all gotten into the cybersecurity spying business. And, you know, these guys, <coughs> excuse me. These guys compete for government contracts, spying contracts. So right. by branding themselves as the inventors of email, it, you see it gives them a benefit when they're, it's their sales job. Right. And, this, and right when my stuff went in the Smithsonian, this little nerd looking guy here, okay, they branded him as the inventor of email. What he had simply done was use the at symbol to attach text to a bottom of, of a file, a caveman version of Reddit, which is minimal electronic messaging which they had conflated to be email. So when my stuff went in, by the way, this nonprofit, 
historians, and these guys work together, okay? So they're the ones who unleashed hell, okay? Now, what people don't understand is that they thought I was gonna take it on the chin. What people don't understand is when this occurred, 2011, I had just gotten back from India where I'd finished a Fulbright, was, uh, was asked by the Indian government to run one of the largest innovation centers, Pharaoh, by the prime minister of India. And while I was there, I had just undergone another shitstorm. I had been appointed the director by the prime minister of India to run the largest innovation center to unleash innovation in India. The Indian scientists weren't innovating, but, and what I found in six months, this is so go back one year before 2010, I had released a report, even though I, they gave me a beautiful bungalow in Delhi, anyone would have just sat there at the time I was married and my father-in-law said, Shiva, shut your mouth. You'll one day become the minister of science and technology. Okay. I didn't do that. I wrote a report which exposed all the corruption in the Indian government. Wow. And I was fired under death threats. This is front page of like the New York Times of India. And all these articles came out and this was primetime TV where I exposed all the government corruption. And I literally had to take a night train to the border of Nepal and flee and come back because they, were, they wanted to kill me. Okay. Wow. This was just in 2010. And I wrote an article for Nature, one of the most prestigious magazines. They, they said, you know, for 70 years, we've seen this corruption in India. And they said, Dr. Ayadure, Dr. Shiva, will you let us know? So I wrote an article called Innovation Demands Freedom, which exposed all the corruption, all the lies that I'd seen. And in fact, embezzlement. And anyway, this went up and then the Indian government forced the editor of Nature to pull it down. So I just gone through this. And what people also don't understand was before that, I had always been fighting for other people. Remember I said, I've been an inventor and a scientist, but you guys need to understand this, I've been a fighter. You know what, that's a picture of Pharaoh? That's me burning the South African flag on the steps of MIT wow. as an 18 year old. I led one of the biggest protests because MIT had tens of millions of dollars in apartheid South Africa, okay? Yes, and this is a picture of me challenging the president of MIT. That's a picture of me running one of the biggest protests to free a friend of mine who had been thrown in jail by the Sri Lankan government. And I got him out. Okay. Wow. And that's me during my MIT PhD graduation. This is the, the US war in Iraq was going on. This was not popular. Out of 20,000 people, I put up this placard. Half the crowd booed me and the half the crowd gave me a standing ovation. So what people didn't understand was I'd been a freaking activist all my life fighting for others. But when this shitstorm took place, if you want to bring back video, yes, it was a very interesting experience for me. What people need to understand was here, I was being attacked. Thousands of emails are coming into MIT, fire this guy. By the way, there's nothing to fire. I'm not even being paid. I'm doing this to help people, okay? The, the, the lectureship I had. It was unbelievable. No one, Pharaoh, stood up for me. All my entire career was fighting for others, fighting for scientists, fighting for, you know, poor people. I made sure more, uh, if you look at the history, more food service workers got paid better at MIT. It was a long history of always fighting, fighting. But this time it was really weird. I'm being attacked. I'm saying, wow, shit, maybe I didn't invent email. Maybe I'm a liar. It's like I talked to people who got raped. They think they did something wrong. Right. And it was an interesting personal journey I went through because people are just vehemently, this uh, Gawker media, the newspaper, is writing three defamatory articles and people say, ha, 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 you invented email. That's like the Al Gore story and they chuckle, okay? And remember, I didn't want any of this. So that's what's going on. And what ended up happening is I, if you go, I had to find within me, that part of me, which wanted to stand up for me. Yes, sir. 
And that part of me, which was that 14 year old boy who worked his freaking butt off to invent email. And therefore I built this site. I used my technical skills for nearly nine months. I would get up at five in the morning. I had an amazing MIT student who helped me. And we went through every piece of literature written before 1978. You see, because I was like, wow, maybe I'm lying. Maybe someone did do it before me, okay? And we built the site, we laid out all the facts. And then lo and behold, this why I believe there's a God, this scumbag, and if he's listening, David Crock of shit, who gave an article to the uh, Washington Post. And this is how like the old man trying to, you know, pat the good nigga, okay, on the plantation. Oh, right. he did some good work, okay? But he didn't invent email, it was done by someone else. The right. collaboration of the military industrial complex, right? He did some good work. Is he trying to give me a little pat on the back for a little 14 year old kid? But this scumbag, David Crock of shit, had forgotten in December, and one of my students found this article in the microfiche, okay? In this report called the RAND report. You see when it's written? 1977. December, six months before I began inventing email. Why don't you read what he says there? He says, okay. at this time, no attempt is being made to emulate a full-scale interorganizational mail system. Then he goes on to say, the fact that the system is intended for use in various organizational contexts and by users of different expertise makes it also, I mean, excuse me, makes it almost impossible to build a system which responds to all users' needs. So what he was saying, let me, so what he was saying, here's the expert. He was writing this report at the state of the art of electronic messaging. These little nerds were trying to just exchange text messages. You know right. why? They were in the military environment of sending da -da -da text messages. But I was in the civilian environment. The secretaries were my friends. I didn't think they were stupid. These people did. That's why it means it's almost impossible to build a system which responds to all users' needs. Remember, they were just nerds who could had to do programming to send little text messages. What he's saying is we could never create a system that could take these quote-unquote dumb people, these secretaries, and let them have all those things, inbox, outbox, it was too complex. Right. You see, they couldn't solve that problem. They thought it was impossible. But I didn't because I had some humility. And I was a wide-eyed, bushy-tailed kid who was willing to work hard. And I was listening to listen to my customers who were these secretaries. I wanted to actually serve them. I had respect for them. This scumbag had no respect for them, okay? And to him, it was impossible because he'd have to actually go, you know, go down to the, to, to the first floor and talk to the secretaries. You see what I'm saying? So that's what he meant. So that's what happened. So in the middle of this controversy, Noam Chomsky, I don't know if you know him. Nope. Chomsky, the most cited scholar in human history next to Jesus Christ, he's more cited than him, okay? Chomsky gives this interview. Chomsky is known as the father of linguistics. He said, email was invented in 78 by a 14 year old working in Newark, New Jersey. He said, the facts are indisputable. In fact, come back to video. Chomsky is known as a linguist, okay? Yes, they try to even get so irrational. They said uppercase email is different than lowercase email. Okay? Freaking ridiculous. So if that's the truth, man, then we'd have to have two dictionaries, Chomsky said. We'd have to have one dictionary called the uppercase dictionary and the other dictionary called the lowercase dictionary, which means the car, which is uppercase, is a car and the lowercase car could mean, I don't know, a microphone, okay? So this is the kind of bullshit, irrational nonsense that these people are trying to do. Now it gets even more interesting. 
if you go back to video, in the middle of this created, manufactured controversy, remember, these people could not withstand the fact that a dark-skinned American kid in Newark, New Jersey, at 14 years old, invented email, okay? That blows their freaking minds. It doesn't compute. Now, in the middle of this controversy, this other scumbag, Walter Isaacson, a liberal writer who was head of the Aspen Institute, who wrote Steve Jobs' biography. You know, these people all think there's, you know, they walk in there. He writes a book right in the middle. So remember, the, the Smithsonian event occurred in 2012. This controversy is raging on. I'm putting out fires. I have to build the inventor of email website to defend and to let people know what did occur, the truth. This guy writes a book. Do you see what the book says, Pharaoh? Innovators. Huh? The innovators. Of the digital revolution, okay? If you read it, how a group of hackers, geniuses, and geeks uh, created the digital revolution, okay? This is written by Walter Isaacson, one of the most revered authors of history. In the middle of this controversy, 2014, and what do you see here? These are who he says are the innovators of the digital revolution. In his book, these are the actual pictures. What do you see? Some frauds and some bozos and some thieves and some liars. <laughs> what do you see here? Wow, this is crazy. These are the only innovators of the digital revolution and a woman, okay? Right. So don't tell me there's no fucking racism, okay? Don't talk to me. Don't fucking talk to me bullshit that there's no goddamn racism the Republicans do or the Democrats don't want it. They confuse right. There is fucking racism, okay? That's what this is. All white boys and a white woman. There's no darkie in here. There's no yellow person. There's no brown person. You know what? He doesn't even discuss email in a book which is about the innovators of the digital revolution. Fuck you, Walter Isaacson. Okay? I'm sorry. It's right. bullshit. All right? And it's taken me a while to actually express my anger on this because when you're, when you're attacked, when I talk to women who get raped, they think they're doing something wrong. The level of bullshit I endured... Okay, so I had to fight, but look at this nonsense. These are the only people who innovate? These are the only fucking people? And he ends his book with this old white boy, okay? And by the way, I have nothing against white people, okay? A lot of white friends, everyone knows that, but I have to bring this up because it's so fucking obvious. And it's your legacy, and you deserve your legacy. Exactly, credit does matter. Why does credit matter? If you bring back video, credit matters for this one singular reason is where is the origin of innovation? Does it come from the military industrial complex or does it come from you and me solving civilian problems? By the way, Philo Farnsworth, the 14 year old boy invented TV. He didn't have to deal with the color issue, but he had to deal with the fact that he did it in a small farm in Franklin, Idaho. RCA stole it from him for 20 years. He fought them. Finally, he wins a court case, but he only has one year patent life left. They started manufacturing the TV. They destroyed him. He died an alcoholic. Okay. Now there's a statue of him in. But let me go back to this video. So Isaacson ends a book with this guy. Okay. You know who this guy is? He was a former president of MIT who started Raytheon, the defense company who tried to steal my invention. Yeah. Okay. And in his book, he says how all great inventions, by the way, comes from the military industrial, big business, academic complex, okay? And look at this. Remember, when I was at MIT, the reason I was on the front page is I was part of this, right? I was acceptable inventor. But this little guy, 
who invented email. It doesn't work. You see, it doesn't freaking work, right? You see how that picture doesn't work? Let me just repeat that. This picture does not work for them. It doesn't compute. So the truth is, let's bring back, you know, the, the facts of it are, when you look at the facts and you look at it so clearly, you know, I wrote all the code, the system, I defined email, called it email and have the copyright. Now, maybe I have to be a white guy with blue eyes and my last name has to be Einstein, okay? I'm, 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 I'm being serious. That's right. I should be, you know, does it have to be Rosenstein? Look, I went to an all Jewish high school and you call me anti-Semitic, I say fuck you to you, okay? Because a lot of my friends are Jewish. But the bottom line is maybe if I was blonde hair, blue eyed, and my name was Eisenstein or Rosenstein, I'd be on every freaking stamp in the world. That's right, that's right. Okay? And that's what we need to talk about. We need to, and it's not only that, it's the fact that it occurred in Newark, New Jersey before I came to MIT. Because the denial is not even race. Let's even put the race issue here. It's much deeper than that. It is a different, it's, it's even deeper than racism. It's about what, do you, what are you supposed to look like, smell like, and be like to be something? Okay, a nerd, a bearded guy with glasses who's hunched over with a pocket protector, that's who they, with the at symbol, when he didn't invent email, he just made a 15 minute change to add text to a bottom of file. He is positioned as the inventor of email because he looks like a nerd, you see? A good looking Indian guy, an athlete, oh, that's not possible, right? Right. They have defined a farm kid from Idaho, surely he couldn't have invented TV. A, a blonde woman must, be, must only be good for certain things, right? Okay. They have defined, when I mean they, the people in Hollywood, the people in media, the people who create culture have defined what it means to smell and look like to be this. Now, in my case, a problem that I had, they had, was they had put Indians as they shake their head, I keep saying, they sit in the lotus position and talk like this and take a freaking beating on their side of their head like stupid Gandhi told people to do, okay? It surely cannot be a fighter. They didn't expect it. They don't, I wasn't willing to be a good nigga, okay? I wasn't willing to be a good Indian in their deep state plantation. I fought back and that bothers him. That's right. And that's what the invention of email really is about. It's not about, I, there's no controversy. So then you had another scumbag who tried to attack me again. By the way, let's talk about what happened to Gawker. After four years, that's why I believe there's a God. Um, I came across a lawyer called Charles Harder. He had just sued successfully Gawker for Hulk Hogan. You know, Gawker had done this clickbaiting, put out a picture of him having sex with his, I don't know, his, his best friend's wife. And Charles Harder, who's by the way now Trump's attorney, personal attorney, looked at all my work and he said, Jesus Christ, you invented email. He took it on contingency, didn't charge me a penny on principle. And we won that lawsuit, a million dollar lawsuit. I won a million bucks. Not only that, we drove Gawker into bankruptcy, which was awesome. They had to go out of business. And then I was appointed the lawyer of the bankruptcy committee and we sold Gawker to Univision. And guess what? They had to pull down those three articles and all these little liberal nerds were like, oh, Shiva's attacking free speech. No, 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 no. Right. Free speech doesn't, does not include defamation and libel and slander. Write whatever you want, but you write bullshit, I'm gonna come sue you, okay? That's right. So we won that lawsuit, the three articles were put down, and yet to this day, the 
racist organizations like the New York Times do not want to accept it. When I attacked Fauci, what did they say? He didn't invent email. That's how they attacked me. When the facts are so freaking obvious, I should be on every stamp. I should be a symbol. This picture, if you bring back the picture here, this picture should be a symbol to every kid in the world that anyone can be inventor. And there are a lot of young kid inventors who get discriminated against, okay? And I can give many stories. Why isn't that picture on every stamp? Because you know why? The narrative has to be only these people are inventors, okay? And what does that do to the other half of the world? What, darkies can't invent? I'm sorry, where is the symbol of this? When a kid wakes up in Africa or India, maybe he should see that picture. What does he see? Thomas Alva Edison, Nikolai Tesla, right? Okay, they're good guys. But where's that image? Why isn't that image out there? Because you wanna diminish a whole bunch of people and forget even the skin color, all right? The issue that this was down outside their bounds like Philo Farnsworth, okay? That's right. So you bring back video, what this is fundamentally about is it's about a war. And the war is where does creativity come from? What does it mean to be a human being? And forget, you know, I've talked about white boys and all this, but that, I'm doing that to, uh, to highlight a certain issue here. It's about a certain set of people. When I was at MIT, I was on everything, right? That's it. However, when I said email was done in Newark, New Jersey, that changes the entire narrative. That changes the narrative of where does innovation come from? And what is innovation, Pharaoh? What is freaking innovation? Innovation is in every human being's DNA. That's right. Okay, monkeys innovate. Human beings innovate. You know, even they found even a, a little, uh, they found octopuses innovate, right? They figured out how to use their instruments around them. But right. what they're saying is only we can innovate. After you come to MIT, that was cool, right? Shiva's great. He's on every front page. But whoa, 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 whoa. Now, now this guy's saying he did it before MIT. That's not allowed. Right. Because why? Because they want research dollars to flow to Silicon Valley, Stanford, MIT. They surely don't want to put a few dollars in Newark, New Jersey, et cetera, right? How much did I invent email for? How much was the cost? Nothing. I got paid a buck 25. The first two years I got free lunch in the cafeteria. I was so happy. By the way, most innovation took place by hobbyists, people who did it for the love of it. Right. That's where innovation took place. I wasn't looking to start a business. I didn't have friends in Silicon Valley. I didn't have my mama and papa who are big financiers or stat on the boards of nonprofits like Bill Gates, right? My parents were, you know, engineers working their butt off and this was done in Newark. That narrative is a true story of where innovation comes from. Innovation comes from the edges, not from the center, but they need to deny that so we all bow down to them. We need, they want us to bow down to their solutions are the only solutions, not solutions that come from indigenous peoples. Oh, wow, they use turmeric root, curry powder. Oh, that's not an invention. You gotta take this drug. Oh, interventions clearly cannot be people figuring out vitamin D works. No, 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 no. You gotta take this drug and vaccines. You see what I'm saying? This is about who is dictating what innovation is. What is innovation? It's about being a human being. What they're saying is after you go to MIT, you get stamped Shiva, then you're an innovator. But you know what? They got a problem with me because I did email before I came to MIT. I didn't need MIT's branding. I'll take it because so many people value it, okay? And now I have those MIT degrees as a weapon against them 
because I can put it in their face and say, you know what, I've gotten all your degrees and I actually excelled in your institutions of power, but I don't need your institutions of power. Because you've been doing this before the institutions. And what's that? I said, because you was already doing this before the institutions. Exactly. I didn't need the authority of MIT, but most of these nerds, most of these academics, they're frankly so afraid, insecure because they've never done anything on their own. They just follow a formula like these Hollywood uh, people who hire consultants to get their kids into schools. Nowadays, you don't know if someone's smart or dumb who goes to many of these schools anymore. Okay. Cause, because they don't actually let kids like me come from the fringes anymore. It's all organized. Your mom and papa find a consultant, they pay them. The Chinese parents in China, they're paying $50,000, $100,000 to get their kids into the best schools. It's all a racket right now. So the truth of the invention of email is the real question is why is there even a controversy? Exactly. Why does fucking Wikipedia put controversial, you know, my entire history is being controversial? Fuck you. That's right. Fuck you, Wikipedia. That's right. Seriously. That's right. Fuck you, Wikipedia. Fuck you, all you assholes who went and do, started adding other histories because you have to deny that this skin color from Newark, New Jersey, as a 14-year-old kid, did it before I came to MIT. That freaking bothers you because you guys are so envious, so bothersome that there could be someone smarter than you who's actually humble. That's right. And now I've had to learn how to become militant and fight against you. Okay, this is not something, an anger that I like to have, but you know what? Maybe we all need to get angry at a certain point in life because these people in power are actually evil. That's so right. now when you, when you understand the reality here, it's really about being human or being inhuman. That's what this is about. This is about saying that you are not a human being until you go to MIT, Harvard and you get their degree, meaning that you can't create, you don't get the credit. You see, yes, sir. that's what this is about. And credit does freaking matter. Credit definitely matters. It matters because it originates where the true spirit of that innovation came from. That's right. And in this case, it didn't come from the military industrial academic complex. It came from love, love and love, a loving family, a loving school teacher and a loving mentor who cared. It was that triangle of love is where innovation came from. It did not come from the triangle of war, the military. They want us to believe we go kill some poor person halfway around the world and out of that weaponry, thank you, we got, I don't know, cell phone towers. It's like, screw you. Right. They, they're trying to justify war as a source of innovation when love and solving a problem has always been the source of true innovation. That's right. Tyler Farnsworth didn't invent TV to make a ton of money. He invented it because he was really excited. That's right. The guy who did the windshield wipers who MIT went stole, he was a mechanic. And there's a wonderful book here written um, by this guy, uh, Dennis Noble, if everyone has a chance to read it. He was a professor of history of science, okay? David Noble, he was, going, he was a professor of history of science at MIT. MIT screwed him, they whacked him. They didn't give him tenure two weeks before his tenure was coming up. He was a guy you exposed, he was a guy you exposed that M two MIT professors had gone to this Michigan mechanic who created the automatic windshield wiper, you know? Stole control systems theory and brought it back to MIT. So a lot of these guys are scumbags. Two thirds of all of these major institutions should be shut down. They're all criminals. 
That's why it was good that professor at Harvard got thrown in jail. The president of MIT took, took, MIT took money from Jeffrey Epstein. Okay. And after he was convicted, took more money. MI Massachusetts is a center of the deep state. So they have a problem with me because I know how they work. I know all their insecurities. That's right. And that's why we have to win the U.S. Senate election in Massachusetts because winning here will be like a freaking sword going right down the vampire's chest. That's right. And a son of poor, untouchable kid, uh, grandparents, kids where I come from, working class, uh, a son of working class kids in you know New Jersey, which is one of you. It's one of us, man. I'm one of you. You're one of me. The invention right. of email is not about me. It's about you. That's right. It's about denying your humanity. That's what the invention of email is about. Right. This face of this kid, if you bring that back, that is not me. This kid is really every one of us, okay? That's right. That's what this kid represents. He's not part of the military industrial complex. He's part of the, he's the outsider, which they want us all to be, okay? That's what this the invention of email is about. Because the facts of who invented email are like, there's no even question. It's black and white. Period. The issue is, why did they do this? Okay? And as you unravel that, you come to this essential truth that innovation can occur anytime, any place, by anybody. That's right. That's the essential truth here. That's right. And that truth is that everyone listening here is a being of light and innovation and creativity. We all have dreams. We're supposed to pursue those without any intervention. And we don't need these people here to tell us what that is. You know what I'm saying? These people, and what they want to do is they want to write their history, going back to this, as these are the only people who can innovate, okay? I'm sorry, this is so disgusting and demeaning, okay? Whether you're white or black, this is disgusting and demeaning, okay? Right. That's what this is about. Dr. Schiller. So that's the invention of email story in its political sense, in its technological sense, in its factual sense, all right? Yes, sir. You, this, you know, you have us so captivated. And before I get to, uh, before we get to going on the interview and I get to asking questions, I want to let you know it's almost 8,000 people in this live. And we, oh, all, awesome. we all love you. We all love all you. Right. You can see the chat. If you want to, it says live chat on your right panel. But, oh, okay. Yeah, we all love you. We all support you. And uh, as everybody else will find out as this goes on, I'm going to be asking Dr. Shiva questions when we get to that part, or, or excuse me, that segment interview of how can we get behind him on our own if we wish to in regards to certain endeavors. But what I want to say to everybody is, as y'all can see, this is probably the most silent I've been on my channel since I've been on here for five years. And this is because I'm captivated just as well as you all. And I'm I'm, I'm soaking it all in while we have someone such as Dr. Shiva to, to, to lend us his precious time. And outside of all of the um, credentials and credibility, as well as the uh, independent intellectual entity that this man is, he has taken all of that. And since we're using the word innovate, we're going to talk about the innovation of solving cellular problems. So when I see the word cytosolve, unlike probably most of y'all, I lit up because once I see the prefix of cyto, in front of the word solve, I said, oh, this guy is on to something. And so cyto, for those of you who don't know, it's a prefix word denoting uh, something attributing to the sales. So when you hear cyto, just automatically think of the word sale. And then we know what solve is, okay? Solve is like to solve a problem. So cyto solve essentially means 
solving the problems of the sales. So when, like I said, when I think that title, I was like, oh, I already, I, I can't wait to get into this. And so what we've been dealing with on this channel, as y'all know, for a week, I have had a huge issue with uh, Fraud Fachi, as I call him, Fraud Fachi <laughs> and his uh, horrendous vaccination suggestions and the other, you know, reading rainbow suggestions he want to give to the public. And so when I seen Dr. Sheba, okay, before I get into this, I'm telling y'all from somebody who understands exactly what I'm looking at. This wasn't me trying to support Dr. Shiva because I dislike fraud Fauci. This was me saying this guy actually knows what he's talking about. And not only does he know what he's talking about, he understands computer science. So this is like being a, a herbal genius and a computer science genius in one. And for those of you who may not understand the importance of Cytosol, we complain all day about animal cruelty. We complain all day about, uh, you know, human testing, adult or elderly adult. What Cytosol will allow you to do, as he will explain in a more detailed manner, I'm just giving it to y'all in a way I believe y'all can digest it from me, is it will computerize molecular simulations of let's say sicknesses or illnesses. And then instead of wasting valuable time and money to figure out a harmful vaccine that's gonna do you worse than what, you, what your problem already is, the computer can generate the molecular structure of the sequence and then use nutritional or vitamin-based value in regards to figuring out a solution. So why is this important? We don't got to worry about animal cruelty. We don't got to worry about them saying, hey, we'll give you $5,000 to test this drug on you and hopefully it doesn't break your neck in your sleep. We don't have to worry about living organisms becoming guinea pigs for literal mad scientists. The computer, okay, which is not a sentient being, can create a synapsis of what your problem is and give you not just a solution, a natural solution that boosts and keeps your immune system healthy. This is genius. This should be out tomorrow, not, not next year, tomorrow. So I'm going to allow him to get into this as I share the screen, unless you have something you want me to pull up. As I pull yeah, up. So, so let's, um, so, so basically, I, I, yeah, let me bring this up. Um, yeah, in fact, this this was an interesting article that came out featuring what we do, creating accurate models of life. Okay, this is several years ago. And so let me um, talk about, uh, because you seem to have a really great audience who really wants to understand. Let me just, one second, let me just go back to this one slide. I'm going to turn this, well, I'm going to turn this slide off. Um, you're still there, right? Yes, sir. Take your time. You're all right. Okay. Yeah. Um, hopefully, I haven't, oh, there we go. Good. Okay, um, let me actually close one of these down. Uh, I have so many, oh, this is good, okay, there we go. Um, yep. What I wanna start here, Farrow, is to really educate people a little bit about um, what, what, what really, you know, let's talk about, when we talk about Cytosol, let's talk about what really compelled that interest, yes. right? What got me motivated. 
anything I do, I don't do, I've never done anything for freaking making money. It doesn't motivate me. I've always done things for something I like. You know, when I, I came to MIT in 1981, did electrical engineering and computer science, right? Then I went and started uh, uh, one of the founding engineers of the company, which did sort of the first presentation graphics predecessor to PowerPoint. We did that, we sold it to a company and then came back to MIT because um, I really love art and design. I do a lot of art, I love writing, I do, you know, I think sculpturally and visually. So I came back to the MIT Media Lab and did a degree in design and visual design and then did another degree in mechanical engineering in looking, so the, in 1980s, if you wanted to visualize something like data, it wasn't that hard, it was very difficult. So I did some of the early programs to visualize complex data, multi-dimensional data using computers. And in, in, in the late 80s, I also got involved in a project to understand how waves propagate through materials um, in a very interesting phenomenon that people hadn't seen. Right. And uh, uh, as Michelle's over here telling me to smile. <laughs> and, uh, and one of the things that I did was I created a t uh, some really cool work for my, I did two masters at MIT, trying to mathematically model wave propagation, like when a wave moves through you or when a wave moves through uh, materials. Because one of the cool things you can do is, let's say you have a piece of material and there's a crack in it, like a bridge. Yeah. Or some material. You don't want to open up that bridge and find out where the crack is. You could send a wave in, and based on the wave that bounces back, you could detect that. So I was creating very cool technologies to be able to, you know, mathematically model this and visualize this. So this was in the late 80s, but in the early 90s, right after I finished that, I got involved in what's called pattern analysis, which you may call wave, uh, which me you, you could I don't want to call it AI. AI has been such an overused term, but it's called analyzing patterns. Right. And why was I interested in this? Because remember, I told you about my grandmother. My grandmother could read your face and say, oh, this face may have some lung issues. This face may have a liver issue, right? Yes, and in sir. the Indian texts, there's a whole book, thousands of years old, that basically every part of your face relates to some organ system in your body, okay? And they had categorized this. So she, she could do this. And by the way, now the MITs of the world are doing cool technology to do this. So when they do it, then it's legitimized, right? But for thousands of years, people had a way to analyze the face. It's called pattern analysis. So in the early 90s, I was doing a lot of research in pattern analysis. And in fact, I come to the conclusion whether you analyze a speech pattern or a handwriting pattern or a waveform um, or an image that you can use actually the same kind of technologies. And I was building a, a whole new technology to do that. And in the middle of that, um, you know, I was on my way to doing more medical research. Suddenly, this is now 1991, right? About 23 years after I'd invented the, 13 years after I'd invented the first email system, right? Right. So I, have, I was starting to create for my PhD work a technology that could analyze all different patterns and categorize it. It didn't matter what patterns and, and could do it pretty well. Well, in 1993, something fascinating happened. Um, some of you may know in 78 to 93, as I mentioned, email was an inter-office mail system. Remember that? Used in the offices. The important thing was email itself, you don't need the internet for email. This is like bullshit, okay? In the old days, we would connect up a bunch of computers, wire it together. It was called a local area network or a wide area network, and we'd have software program. It was called you know, your local network. But in 1993, something interesting happened. The World Wide Web came, WWW, the World Wide Web. Correct. That literally put a graphical user interface on this thing called the internet. Okay. And then right then, 
email went from a business application, which was used in the business environment, right? Mimicking the inner office mail system to become a consumer application. Because the World Wide Web, you had new companies like Hotmail and Yahoo and Gmail. They literally put a web front end onto the, the you know, what I had created, okay? But email took off because now millions of people could use the internet because it's point and click. That's what was a revolution of the World Wide Web. So email volume is growing and the White House is starting to get about, you know, 5,000 emails a day coming inbound and Clinton, Bill Clinton was in office then, and he's literally having to read emails by hand manually. What they would do is when an email came, they print it out, they categorize and they respond back to a email with a print mail. That's how archaic it was. So the White House starts doing a competition to see, is there AI technologies to automatically read an email and categorize it, okay? Well, anyway, I was a graduate student. I was the only student to participate in that with five other publicly traded companies. I ended up winning that contest. So I leave MIT, and this you can look it up in the Christian Science Monitor. People don't believe it, it's out there. And I, and I left MIT and I started a company called Echo Mail. And we literally built this $250 million value company that could read an email, categorize it, and we did it for all the biggest companies in the world. So in 2003, so the reason I gave you that background was there's a way you, to analyze patterns and to categorize them. And so the largest Fortune 1000 companies would use our technology for customer service, right? Because right. it was costing them 25 bucks to handle an email. With this new technology, you could do it faster. Well, in 2003, I came back to MIT. I was walking around literally, and I bump into my old advisor. He was really upset that I'd left MIT without finishing my PhD. Remember, I left. Yeah. Shiva, you got to come back to MIT. And I go, what's going on? His name is Professor Forbes Dewey. He goes, look, there's something phenomenal going on, a revolution in biology. And, and the best way you can look at that, let me share this here, is what was happening in biology. Some people may know, and this is probably the, the important thing to understand. If you can, I think I may, can you see this here? Yep. So as as you I back up, I'll pull it up. Oh, I got to share the screen. Hold on. Yes, sir. No problem. So there. Okay. So what was happening in biology was the following. Uh, in, in the early 90s, as you can see here in the beginning of this graph, the Human Genome Project had started right around here, early 1990s. You see this? And here we had thought, we knew at this point in 1990, a worm had around 20,000 genes. So if, if, okay, if a little worm, you know, we think is not that smart as 20,000 genes, and we're, we're this, we, people thought, oh, we must have at least five times more genes, okay? So their prediction was we had about 100,000 genes. So these, this was a time when people are hunting for genes. They wanted to sequence a human genome and know what every gene was. Well, what's a gene? Well, you have a gene for your eye color, you have a gene for your hair color, you have a gene for how big your nose is gonna be, right, et cetera. So we knew a worm had 20,000 genes, and the idea was, we said, well, we're more complex. So we must have at least five times more genes. In fact, this was much higher. It was like a million genes. But you see what happens here, Farrell? What happened here? As you go, they're not finding all these genes. Right. Is they, yeah, the estimate, these little diamond things, they're new estimates. They keep changing and changing and changing and changing. So by 2003, guess what? We only have 20,000 genes. Exactly. We have the same number of genes as a worm. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now this blew the mind off the biologists who thought complexity is a function of the number of genes, more genes, more parts. You see, this is a reductionist view 
of biology. Did I lose you? Farah? Oops. Did I lose him? Hello? Oh, I'm here. Okay. So Farah, what happened was, to people listening, the idea here was, so this is called reductionism. If you bring back the video, so this is something interesting that people need to understand. Biologists are looking at in their microscope, like I have back there, something small, right? Yes, sir. You have the whole, the whole organism, they're looking at pieces, right? And you can win a Nobel Prize just for understanding how two proteins interact, okay? Right. But they don't look at the whole. For them, parts are everything. Oh, more parts, more complexity. Worm has 20,000 parts, genes. A human being must have 100,000 parts. But this blew the socks off everyone, if we go back here, is the reality is that we have the same number of genes as a worm. So this flipped biology on its head. And it resulted in this new field called systems biology. It said, look, we're just not our genes. By the way, this is genes. We're, in order to understand the whole human being, we got to interconnect the genes with the proteins. We got it. It's much more complex. Okay. And this gave rise to systems biology. So in 2003, when I came back to MIT, something phenomenal was going on. The National Science Foundation had put forward this grand challenge, which was, could you mathematically model the whole human cell? Cyto, right? Cell and solve it. Right. So in a dream, I actually, you know, I meditate a lot and I had a dream, which I said, you know, I should call this cytosol. Okay. And I'll talk about that. Mm -hmm. So the idea was, could you mathematically model the human cell? So if you think about the cell as a bunch of molecular reactions, right? Right. And these molecular reactions, so it's a lot of little molecular reactions. And this is what one of these molecular reactions looked like. So if you read a paper on cancer, some guy, you know, there's probably 100,000 papers, right, or more. Some guy would have found, oh, chemical A reacts with chemical B to get chemical D. This is called a biological pathway. He publishes that. He could win a Nobel Prize for that. Well, these pathways could be converted. These are chemical pathways. You know, using basic chemistry, we can convert them to mathematical models, right? But the idea of putting all of these together was thought impossible. So the approach I did was I said, look, let's look at this blue thing represents a cell. Let's think about the cell as composed of a system of molecular pathways. Instead of trying to do it monolithically, like let's try to mash it all together, let's distribute it, decentralize the problem, okay? Yes, Individual people own pieces, and that was Cytosol. So Cytosol was this amazing new technology. I, again, wrote with my own uh, bare hands, my own code, my own ideas to basically create a infrastructure. It's an infrastructure that could decentralize a problem and we could compute the molecular mechanism. So what this simply meant was I could basically model large scale diseases like cancer on the computer, which was thought impossible. I could model, frankly, anything, okay? So that was Cytosol and the goal was we could eliminate the need for animal testing, all right? That was really the, and so I wrote lots and lots of papers because you know, spent the next, because you have to write all these papers to prove to the academic, you know, hierarchy that, and, and I wrote a lot of papers. And one of the interesting thing was, uh, this paper came out, uh, in nature is known as, you know, in their world, one of the most important peer reviewed journals. It said, if you're going to solve cancer, you got to use not just one drug, but combinations of drugs. But duh, that's what food is, right? Right. Food is basically a combination of many compounds or curry powder. But anyway, this was saying chemical drugs. And even they are realizing that if you give one drug a lot of it, it can cause side effects. Their idea is why don't we give a lot of a little drug? I mean, less of a, 
a lot of little drugs reduce the toxicity. Well, interesting enough, my thesis right here was the only thing cited there as a technology that could do this. So when this came out, I raised about a million dollars very quickly and I said, wow, could I take on pancreatic cancer? So I actually modeled all the mechanisms for pancreatic cancer and actually discovered a two drug combination and got it allowed by the FDA without killing any animals, okay? In the record 11 months. Now I did that at, not as a joke, but to prove I could play with the big guys. But what I was really interested in Farrah was this kind of stuff, okay? How my grandmother mixed those ingredients, right? I mean, that was an art form. So in India, um, here, by the way, this outer circle is a cell wall. This is the nuclear wall. And don't worry about all these things. What I wanted to share with you here is inflammation is a cause of most diseases. We're talking about the cytokine storm, right? Yes, sir. You've heard that? That's when inflammation is taking place. Well, it turns out that curcumin, which is the active ingredient in turmeric, if you've never heard of this root, root called turmeric, mm -hmm. curcumin is the active molecule in that. Indians eat a lot of it. Indians get one third less liver cancer than Chinese, okay? And the reason is because of the high consumption of turmeric. Right. Indians do. Well, there have been 6,000 papers written about turmeric. So with our technology, we got all of those papers and we connected all the molecular mechanisms, okay? And all the places curcumin works, all the red dots are where it goes, stops inflammatory cytokines, okay? Wow. And then we looked at, okay, this is an example where resveratrol works, you know, the stuff on red grapes, if you drink wine. So this is like you're having your curry meal and you're drinking some wine and we could actually mathematically model without killing animals based on putting together from a systems perspective, all those things, and then we could run online experiments. So here, just to keep it simple, these are four experiments I'm running. You see this? Right. Experiment one is I don't give any curcumin, any resveratrol, and I'm looking at what's called an inflammatory cytokine. 0.15 means uh, it, it, that, just think about the numbers on the right column or when it's high, it's not good. That means cytokine storm, inflammation is taking place, okay? So I'm simulating no curcumin or resveratrol. Second experiment, what do I give? I give five units of curcumin. What happens? You see it drops? Yes. The curcumin is an anti-inflammatory. In the third experiment, I just give resveratrol, five units, and you see it also drops from 0.15 to 0.06. Right. But this is what the cool part is. What do you see here? I reduce the amount of curcumin by 40% to three. I reduce the amount of resveratrol from five to 60, still the total amount, but I'm giving less of each of these, right? Right. Watch what happens. It goes down by, an, by another 200%. You see that? To 0.03. So bring back the video. What this means, Pharaoh, is that a lot of small things in combination could are more powerful than any one thing. That means that some of the parts is greater than the whole, okay? This is why food is so powerful. It's not just taking one lump of some drug. It's taking a lot of little things. Indians have curry powder, yes. right? Curry powder is not just one spice. Curry is not a, it's not a curry, it's not a spice. It's a bunch of spices. You have turmeric, you put a little bit of cloves, you put cardamom, you put all these things because over thousands of years, people learned that these combinations of herbs totally supported your body. So what Cytosolve is able to do is I can discover combinations of ingredients like what my grandmother did, okay? Yes, Using modern science and we can validate it to others and we can eliminate the need for animal testing. 
So that's what Cytosolve is. So if email was the electronic version of the office communication system, Cytosolve is a technology that can simulate the molecular communication system, you know? Not the inbox connected to the outbox, but molecule connect, but it's a system. Right. It's a decentralized system. And more importantly, you know, it's a system that allows us to really find truth. It's a source of truth. You know, we use Cytosolve to go at the GMO issue, okay? Several years ago, this article came out in MIT Technology Review. If you're, and look at this article, this is an MIT saying buy fresh, buy GMO. You see this? Yes, sir. It's basically an ad for Monsanto. So what we did, I mean, I can go into this later, but I can, if you, there's questions, but we re literally use Cytosolve to really take saying, okay, there is pro GMO, non GMO, right? Right. We literally wanted to take the middle ground and we use Cytosolve because what they're saying is a non GMO is no different than a GMO. That's Monsanto's goal. Okay. Right. Bill Gates, another Bill Gates, by the way, supports vaccines. He supports genetic engineering of food. Okay. Or death. Exactly. And it's like saying there's no difference between um, this guy and this guy, right? right. Well, what it turns out is, um, and just in the interest of time, we use Cytosol to go through 683,000 experiments. I mean, 6,837 uh, 6, experiments. And we literally use Cytosol to model all the molecular mechanisms. Let me go to this here. And what we found was that in the GMO, non-GMOs formaldehyde is made in plants and it's depleted because that's a normal plant process, but in GMOs formaldehyde will accumulate. And similarly, glutathione, which is an amazing antioxidant, stays at high levels and it'll be depleted here. And we wrote a series of papers to expose this. So I'm gonna stop there, We can come. let's go back to video. But the point is, Cytosol is an amazing tool that can be used for drug discovery, it can be used for medical discovery combinations, it can lower toxicity, eliminate animal testing, but it can also understand the interactions of foods, you know, how, how nutrient supplements can work. And that's Cytosol. So we're in a very powerful position relative to the nonsense that Fauci and all these guys spout is because four months ago, the results of Cytosol, I was invited to give the distinguished talk at the National Science Foundation where I shared the modern science of the immune system, really showing how this, the immune system is not just the innate and the adaptive system, it's much more complex. We have our amazing gut bacteria, we have our brain, we have the gut-brain axis. But the reality is that your immune system is not some weakling. It becomes a weakling right. if you destroy it with the sugars, if you destroy it eating um, you know, clean, dirty air, dirty water, dirty food. These compromise the immune system. And when the immune system is compromised, it will fight back when it sees a pathogen coming, not doing it the right way, it overreacts. It's called a cytokine storm and it destroys parts of your body. That's what's going on. These people in the ICU, you know, with this COVID-19, okay? Yes, sir. Pneumonia, whatever they're getting, it's, it's, the, it's people's compromised immune systems. And everyone needs to understand this. The big lie of Fauci, the big lie of fake science, the big lie of pharma, is to scare, put fear into you, to make you think that your immune system, you know, can be compromised that easily. Meaning right. that a virus, let me let me be more specific, that a virus comes and attacks your immune system. Like the virus is like a big monster and it eats your immune system. It's not true. 
what happens is your immune system gets compromised and your immune system overreacts right. against this potential invader. And it starts attacking parts of your body. So in the case of coronavirus, it starts attacking your lung epithelial cells. People start getting edema, fluid fills up in the lung. And then these idiots are putting the critically, critically ill people on ventilators, which right. are sending high pressure to a little, imagine you have a little balloon that's filled with water and you're sending more pressure into there. It's gonna blow up that balloon. That's why 80, 90% of the people on ventilators are gonna die. Hospitals are gonna make a lot of money. The hospital administration makes money. The ventilator suppliers make money. And you and I are watching this nonsense and getting scared. Oh my God, I could go on a ventilator, I could die. I don't, and that's what they wanna want do. Right. The entire purpose of this nonsense is to drive fear into you and then they're going to be the saviors and neo-missionaries delivering their solution, mandated vaccines, because they're going to scare the shit out of everyone now. And next year at this time, all of these very stupid, educated morons are going to say, yeah, 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 vaccinate me, vaccinate me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, um, uh, Pharaoh, you better get your vaccine card. Hey, he shouldn't be allowed to drive. This is about using people against people by fear mongering based on a fake science of the immune system. That's right. The problem is we have tools like Cytosol. You know, you have someone like me who studied this and we're, that's why these videos that we're doing here are to educate you. This is frankly easy to understand, but you're not gonna get it from Tucker freaking Carlson. You're not gonna get it from CNN. You're not gonna get it from these other people because they're basically master grifters. You know, they watch which way the wind blows and they'll go that way, this way, they'll betray people, whatever they want. But the bottom line is there is something called truth. And the truth is that your immune system, if it's fed right, if it's supported right, you become you. And when you're you, your system operates to protect you. That's right. And it's very simple, actually. Sunshine, vitamin D, antimicrobial, the rich green vegetables, you know, and the fruits. Your body takes that and creates vitamin A. Vitamin A protects your cells. You take the vitamin C, again, which comes from the beautiful citrus fruits, right? or if you can take it as a supplement, if you can't get it on all the bioflavonoids, what they do is they reduce inflammation, they support their antioxidants and their antiviral. But they don't wanna talk about this. That's right. Fauci has not said one word, the freaking guy. I was just about to ask you about uh, fraud Fauci, but I'm gonna say, you know, Anthony Fauci right now so people know who I'm talking about. I, along with everybody else with common sense, have come to the conclusion that fraud Fauci is most definitely not in the interest of the people. And so I want to ask you now, even though we all know, but while we have your attention, would you say that Fauci is just simply intellectually incapable of his job? Or would you say that, that Fauci is purposefully ignoring the true foundation of the immune system in order to financially benefit along with Big Pharma and the rest of his, I call it Fauci and friends, so that Fauci and friends can financially benefit from people's sickness. What would you say in your professional opinion? Would you say that he's just uh, intellectually incompetent in regards to his understanding on, immune, uh, on, on the immune system? Or would you say that he's purposely neglecting specific measures that he should take in order for Fauci and friends to financially benefit from this disease, which we all believe to be bioengineered? Yeah, it's a good question. Look, 
when we did the fire Fauci campaign, you know, we did those tweets, I think about 40, 50,000 people are now, I think 40,000 people have signed the petition to fire him. Yeah. Nearly, I think there's about a thousand doctors now. So what is Fauci? What, when we say fire Fauci, what are we talking about? We're not talking about this little dweeb, okay? Right. He's symbolic of, he's a titular head of a beast, okay? And if his head gets cut off, they'll try to put someone else there, okay? He's expendable to the, to the deep state. What Fauci is really fundamentally about is how does a guy get into power like this? Let's, let's just step back. How does a guy like Fauci uh, survive and exist across, I think, four or what, six presidents, right? Right. Reagan. There's Reagan. Bush one, Bush two, Clinton, Obama. What else do we have? And now Trump, Reagan. right? I think six presidents. How does a guy do that? So remember, in the Indian caste system, from what I came from, they had a little pyramid. On the top of the pyramid, guess it was? Like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Right. Like the priesthood, right? The Below them was the kings, like the politicians. So today you have the academics right. who are in these major institutions, and below them you have the presidents, the politicians. And below the kings in the Indian system, you had the 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 warriors here you have the military okay and then and and then below that you had the business folks here you have your entrepreneurs and business people and then below that you had all your niggas okay all of us we call them sudras in india okay same thing okay the people who are basically supposed to do all the work and i'm i don't mean that term blacks i'm talking about blacks and whites and i think people really need to reconsider the meaning of that word you know, we removed that word, the white liberal elites removed that word and Martin Luther King supported that, whether he knew it or not. He may have been a nice guy, but they said, oh, we're no longer racist if we don't use that word. But the reality is we're all now black and white and brown, ye yellow. We're all niggas on the deep state reservation. And that's, okay. why I, and that's, why, and that's but partially why I use the word. Another uh, understanding of why I use the word is, you know, studying my ancestral history, I understand my ancestors addressed themselves as Naga. And we know that uh, Germans, you know, when they went on their little conquering spree, they couldn't say Niger. So they turned it to Unger. Right. right. Unger turned into the word I'm not going to say because YouTube might try to flag me. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's why I, I make sure I keep it in rotation. Make right. Sure. So, so, But I think it's an important word that even the YouTube people who are listening need to understand. It right. is actually a scientific term that refers to oppression. And they try to get rid of that word. This was how the white liberal bourgeois work. They try to do stupid things. Okay, we don't use that word. Therefore, racism is gone. Therefore, oppression is gone. Right. I believe we should all use that word to address ourselves. Right. And everyone should say, that's what I am, because then that's where liberation will come, because people should understand where they are at. We're all niggas on the deep state plantation all of us black and white and the day we understand that then we can say okay how do we get liberated but always we think oh don't use that word don't use that word because the elizabeth warns the 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 liberal white elites now it's a multi-racial it's not just white it's a multi-racial liberal aristocracy including the obamas and the chinese and all of them okay right. they don't, they act as oh we're we're not racist we don't use that kind of language well screw you because that's what we are right now. We are all, you know, niggas on the deep state plantation. And I mean that in a very historical way. 
just because you remove the word doesn't mean the reality does not exist. And if we accept that, then we can realize who the real enemy is. It's a deep state. And the head of that deep state in, when it comes to health policies, Anthony Fauci. That's right. And the reason I say that is because he represents the, the scientific establishment gone wrong. Because what's happened over the last 70 to 80 years, you see about 80, 90, 100 years ago, 100 years ago, scientists were very cool people, man. They, they didn't make a lot of money. They'd sit back and they'd just freaking look at the universe. Wow, why does that star do that? Wow, why does that apple fall from that tree? They contemplate on it. You'd have yogis who were called rishis. Rishis meant scientists. They'd sit in the forest for hours just meditating. And they, and through quiet contemplation, they would come across truth. Well, after the atom bomb got created, the Manhattan Project, after Sputnik went up, after World War II, when we divided up the world and we took over other people and we hacked it up, we created the military industrial academic complex, which was consolidation of power and included consolidation of science itself. Right. And what that meant was science was no longer done by people just wanting to do great science. It was now manufactured into a factory. So we created all these PhDs and we funded them. You know, the funding of the NIH went from 100 million to about 10, 20 billion. And what they did was they didn't want like really crazy ideas anymore. They didn't want people who were thinking on the edges. They wanted people who'd fall in line, academics, different than scientists. Okay. So they, starting in the... 60s, 70s, they got rid of really the smart guys. That's why that guy, Vannevar Bush, starts Raytheon in 1940, 50. Right. And, and Dennis David Noble said that is when real science ended because we started using public funds for supporting military funding, okay, military operations like Raytheon. So we could not have email being done in Newark. We can't have TV being done in Franklin, Idaho. It has to be done by them. You see, they had to justify their existence, Pharaoh. They had to say all great science comes from a small set of institutions. All great innovation comes from them. Why? Because then you as an, the American citizen would feel good about giving, giving your money, tax dollars, to support people like Fauci. So what ended up happening over time was they got rid of all the real scientists and basically operators, you know, academics, you know, administrators, bureaucrats like Fauci rose to the top. It was a guys who could manipulate. It was a guys who knew how to screw other people over, right? It was a guys science didn't matter anymore. So in the case of Fauci in the late 80s, there was this guy called Robert Gallo who came up with the bogus bullshit science that HIV causes AIDS, Correct. complete fraud, okay? Who was brought up on scientific misconduct charges, right? And Fauci came to his rescue cleared him of his misconduct charges, and then he got to be the number one bro, okay? There, number one guy. And he promoted HIV causes AIDS, and that's when his career takes off. He's been through a pandemic before. He created the whole AIDS nonsense. Billions of, you know, nonprofit guys, and they created all the political incorrectness. And the reality is AIDS is suppression of the immune system. Right. A lot of these AIDS, got, uh, you know, if you look at the most of the 80, 87 first AIDS patients, 90% of them were gay guys who were having sex with 1,000, 1,500 people, taking amyl nitrates, which are poppers, which cause immunosuppression. Amyl nitrates are drugs that prolong orgasm. So that was a, one group. The other group was people were pummeling themselves with, with all sorts of drugs, which lower the immune system, right? Heroin, et cetera. Right. And then you had the third group who were getting immunosuppressive drugs, immunosuppressive drugs when they got blood transfusions. It's not the virus. And by the way, 
70, 60%, 70% of Zambia has HIV. They're not all dying. Right. So the, the entire science became always find an infectious disease, always find a bug, like find some guy who did the crime when he didn't do it, brand right. him as he did the crime, throw him in jail, okay? So that's what they did with viruses and bacteria. Every, you have that disease, let's find a virus. Why? Because then you could create a drug, then you could create a vaccine for that. Forget the fact that there's 380 trillion viruses in me, you and I are germs. We're like germ farms walking around everywhere. The issue is, does your immune system detect it and knock it out and deal with it without any cytokine storm? Correct. They don't wanna talk about that. Correct. So they created a scientific establishment which was supported, the C, which included the CDC, revolving door with pharma, the WHO, revolving door with the Chinese establishment and pharma, right? And then they created, you know, organizations like the AMA, doctors are basically handcuffs, nice guys, but they get big pharma medicine. And you have a guy like Fauci, who's basically a politician, all right? And right. he's a very insecure guy because he knows he's not really that bright or never really doesn't really have the chops. And remember, they say, oh, Dr. Fauci cited in all these papers, right, 14 times. Well, that means he kissed a lot of butt. That's right. Because in order to get, when you look at a guy who's been cited a lot, that means he spent a lot of time kissing ass, okay? Because in academia, the way you rise in the ranks is, I write a great book or a great paper, right? This guy writes a great book, but if no one cites him, then he's considered an outsider. But so what they do is a guy like Fauci, you know, is, is doing whatever he can to have everyone say, oh, yeah, cite my paper, cite my, that's what these guys do. They're on the phone like politicians, literally. Right. Okay. It's like getting votes. That's what they're doing. That's right. So that's Absolutely. what you're talking about. Fauci is he's an animal out of that scientific establishment, Pharaoh. I, right. I, but this is, there's a lot of knowledge I'm giving here, but the bottom line is he is an animal out of the scientific establishment. If he goes, another animal will come and another animal, okay? So when we say fire Fauci, we're saying destroy this entire scientific establishment. That's what it is. And by attacking him and getting a win out of that, it would be incredible because what he represents is the face of the scientific establishment. That's right. And the face of the scientific establishment is always to say that all great invention solutions come from them. That's why email could not come from... Newark, right? Or saying vitamin D is not a solution. We're never going that's too simple. Right. Vitamin C ain't a solution. It's got to be some drug. It's got to be a drug or a vaccine because they need to make money and they're the smart guys. You and I are stupid. You know, that's the caste system model that they have. So right. Fauci, that's what he represents. I want to ask you three more questions. The uh I know I had, I think I had you, I think we got probably maybe 10, 15 more minutes left. So I'm a kind of move through them quick. I'm only asking you one more question in regards to fraud Fauci, Fauci, however you want to say his name, because I didn't want to have you here and ask you questions that we already know or that I've even discussed on this channel. What I want people to see is what the mainstream media will not show and what these other uh, fraudulent medias will not show. And that is the brilliance, the intellect, and the qualification of Dr. Shiva. And so I wanted him to come on my platform and not for us to keep conjuring up conversations about what we already know about fraud Fauci. I want y'all to see why you should support this man. Because if you support this man, you're, you're not just supporting him. 
you're supporting the way that the universe intended for you to take care of yourself. And that's deep. And so as I, I'm, uh, excuse me, I'm actually one more question about fraud Fauci as I, as I share my screen. And then my next two questions will be in regards to systems health. And so, uh, as I share my screen, I wanted to ask you because it has come out. Oop, let me pull that back up. It has come out, as you can see, this is from Business and Politics today, April 9th. Dotting letters, donations raise eyebrows over Fauci's devotion to Hillary Clinton. And so as Fauci is supposed to be a supporter of the of, of, of the Trump campaign, you can see that the FEC, okay, has records of Dr. Fauci's wife sending a minimum of at least twelve hundred dollars to Hillary Clinton's campaign against Trump in 2016. Now, on top of that, we have WikiLeaks emails from two thirds from 2013, some uh, some as uh, recent as 2016 of Dr. Fauci emailing Hillary Clinton, stating things such as he loved her. And I'm just I'm just paraphrasing here, giving her, making comments such as he loved her. Other comments as her speech was so great. He was emotional. And so I just want to ask you, what does this speak to? I mean, how does this speak to the credibility of Dr. Fauci being that he is supposed to be advising President Trump? We already suspect him of being a secret deep state slash Hillary Clinton supporter. Now we have documented evidence that he not only has personally supported Hillary Clinton while she was running against Trump, but his wife has donated to Hillary Clinton's campaign against Trump, and he's supposed to be on Trump's team. So in your professional Dr. Shiva magnificent opinion, we want to know what does this say about the character of, of Fraud Fauci? And I'm going to end on this. How does Fraud Fauci expect the American people to think that he'll have our best interest at hand when he doesn't even have the all, he doesn't even have the best interest at hand of the team that he's supposed to be playing on. So how, what do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, it's look, look, if uh, let's just step back, you know, 2016, you know, I never voted in my life, right, right. ever. Because I, I figured out, you know, the whole uh, electoral politics was garbage, especially when, you know, poverty pimp guy, Jesse Jackson sold out the entire rainbow movement, gave his votes to Mondale, right? Yeah. Um, basically, these, there's an obvious establishment and the not so obvious establishment. We could do a whole talk on that. Right. Right. So what, what we find is that it's uh, that in all of these scenarios that um, uh, the political base is always lawyer, lobbyists and scumbags. OK. And once you figure that out, it forces you to want to become a revolutionary. Right. You want to take a very different approach because, you know, you're wasting your time. So anyway, I never, ever voted never registered to vote, nothing, but I built many movements, right? On the ground, as right. I shared with you, burning flags and building protests and helping food service workers fighting, et cetera. But when Trump ran in 2016, I, I what I saw was a guy who was not willing to compromise and go after both the Democratic uh, um, establishment and the Republican establishment, which, which we should talk about here in Massachusetts before we cut off here tonight. Right. But that's what Trump was doing. So I registered as an independent, voted for him, decided to run in 2017 as a Republican. The Republican Party was so afraid of me for many reasons. Not only uh, do they not want an outsider, but they actually are part of the issue of segregation. They don't want an outsider. They're, they're sort of the blue bloods here. 
who actually hate Trump also. The Republican mayor, the Republican governor in, in Boston, Charlie Baker is a scumbag. He said he wasn't going to vote for Trump. His mentor, Bill Well, just ran against Trump, another Republican, and has endorsed Joe Kennedy. The reason I give this background is that Trump came into an environment of the deep state, okay? Yes, sir. They never thought he was going to win, and then he won. Now, when he enters that swamp, he's filled with crocodiles and alligators and just evil people. Right. Um, I would say that most of the people around him still, I don't care. I don't trust Lindsey Graham. I'm sorry. I don't trust a lot of these guys, right? They didn't switch from being a deep state swamp creature overnight now to being a supporter. I don't trust them, okay? But regardless of that, um, you have, he's in an environment surrounded by these guys, okay? And one of them happens to be a guy like Fauci, okay? Right. They never wanted him in. They're all part of deep state. Deep state meaning the rhino deep state, the GOP establishment deep state, or the Democratic Party deep state. So I'm not that surprised, right? right? But what is unfortunate in this case is Trump was able to beat the Russian collusion thing because he has good gut instincts. Right. He was able to beat the impeachment thing. But in this situation, this is sort of the last hurrah of the deep state. They're putting out everything, right? right. Shutting down the country, fear-mongering. Fauci's up there with that other idiot woman, Bricks, whatever her name is. Right. They're just... And, you know, leveraging Trump's weaknesses to basically use this, quote unquote, invisible enemy. Right. A lot of people don't understand science or medicine. Right. To try to put him into a battleground that makes it very difficult for him to operate. That's what's happened. That's right. And Fauci's relationship with Hillary Clinton, like you just showed, Hillary Clinton is Miss Vaccine Queen. The Clinton Global Initiative, I, I believe, got at least a half a billion dollars to support vaccine research. So that's what you're dealing with. And then you then you have Fauci also sits on the leadership council of the Gates Foundation. Exactly. And, yep, and they're into vaccines. And then you have the Chan Zuckerberg Foundation into vaccines. By the way, all these three guys are also into Monsanto and genetic engineering of food, big ag, big pharma, big medicine. So they don't want, by the way, I'm sure Hillary Clinton meditates and eats her little organic food, right, and so does uh, Bill Gates, right, and all, but they don't want organic food for you and me. They want it for themselves. Right. They'll take it and vaccinate the hell out of us, mandate us, control us. So Fauci is the head of this snake right now on health policy, and they will even destroy this country's economy, which is putting a lot of people out of work. So next year you say, oh my God, I don't want to be put out of work. Vaccinate me here. Vaccinate me. Digital certify me. Here, put me in bondage. I'm ready for it for some short-term crumbs. And that's what we need to get ready for. We need to get ready for the fact that they're mentally preparing you to say, vaccinate me, I will take it on the chin, just don't crash the economy next time. You see? Right. That's what this is fundamentally about. And so health policy led by Fauci is leading economic policy. And what I just shared with you was someone very close in the White House who contacted me. When I, when I put out my first tweet, they're saying, Shiva, I've been watching your videos. Please do more videos. We are being screwed over essentially by Fauci, okay? His health policy is guiding economic policy. And this person said, we're headed for a great depression. So the pharma guys will even force this country into depression, put people out of work, quanti through quantitative easing, we start printing a lot of money. 
so they can mandate vaccines for the entire world population, maybe get about a thousand bucks per person, let's say $7.2 trillion, so they can keep making recurring revenue because vaccines for them have no liability. They don't, you can't sue them. You, you got to go to a vaccine court. Right. Based on the 1986 ruling, listen very carefully, you cannot sue the vaccine manufacturers if you get injured because of a law that was put into effect in 1986 by Ted Kennedy sponsoring a bill. That's right. So that's what you have. So low risk, low liability. They don't even have to do all the testing they do with drugs. So that's what Fauci's about. So he's both. He's, he's a mole and part of the machine. He's part of the Clinton click. Look, I used to live out in Hollywood, right? Uh, you know, these people are incestuous. They're not Democrat or Republican, just one little incestuous clique that also screw themselves. They hang out with each other. Weinstein, Epstein, all these guys. Okay, there's one little clique. Right. So, and if you look at Fauci, he's all excited that he gets to hang out with Elton John and Bono. He's a star fucker, as people in Hollywood call them. You know, right. people in Hollywood call people like him a star fucker. Okay. Yeah, very familiar with the term. Yeah, he doesn't know that's what they think of him. But he's such a little dweeb of an academic who's not that bright. He's just wheedled his way in by playing the game. And for him to be around Bono is a big thing to, oh, we did an AIDS concert, you know? This guy's right. a complete idiot, okay? So he's part of that shtick, part of that incestuous pool. So he's a tool in some ways. He's a serious tool. And he serves the interests of the global elite. That's right. We want to have a small set of people that we all become automatons, little robots, that, and we become one big Chinese factory. So they're exporting China to America. That's what this is. Right. Top-down management of everything. That's right. Let me, before we get into, uh, excuse me, systems health, I know you said you wanted to get into the uh, dualistic understanding of I believe Democratic and Republican corruption in both parties. So I'm gonna let you get into that now, really quickly, and then I want to end on systems health because when I when I leave, I want out of all of the things people digest, I want you and what you have to offer to be the last things on our mind versus Fauci and his fraudulent friends. And so, yeah. Uh, so let, let's end on a on a note. I think what we want to do is talk about what we can do to empower ourselves, right? And my is we, we know what the enemy is, you know, their centralized power. We believe in bottoms up. So let's talk about that. How do we get there? How do we take care of our health? How do we win? And we're at an important point in human history where we can head into the golden age or we can head into the serious dark age. And that's what this is all about. It's it's the timing is quite amazing. So how do we head into the golden age? Okay. Well, we head there by first of all understanding that the body is a system that we have to take a systems approach to everything. Um, you know, when I'm, if you go to the webpage, um, I, I just wanna take a quick break so we don't miss this. You know, I'm running for Senate around this concept of truth, freedom, and health. If you yeah. go to the front page of Shiva for Senate. And me, so, yeah, so if, if you think about it, what we're looking at is that, uh, if you go to the front page, if you click on the bus on the upper left corner. Mm -hmm. So if you go into, the front page, you'll see that the logo that we have to the left of it says truth, freedom, and health. And what that, the reason we, the reason, I mean, I've been thought, thinking about this for years. How do you make something really compelling for people to understand? And what you find is that without freedom, without the ability to debate and discourse, we're never going to get to truth. Right. Because 
you suppress the scientific method. You move to scientific consensus. 97% of people believe the sun goes around the earth. Therefore, that's the truth, right? It's not true. Right. Then you get, so you don't have truth. And without truth, we'll create a fake problem and a fake solution. And that destroys our health. And without health, we're not strong enough to fight for freedom. So it's truth, freedom, and health. are That's a system, okay? Truth, freedom, and health are interconnected. So that's one takeaway people should realize. That's a great framework for you to look at all these problems. The second aspect of this is that I'm running for Senate to really guide a movement, an educational movement to treat, teach people how truth, freedom, and health are interconnected. And as a part of that, we need to get on the ballot. The scumbags, meaning the Democratic Party establishment and the Republican, do not want me on the ballot. And they're stopping us from collecting signatures. We have to collect close to 20,000 signatures to get on the ballot. Paul, so we've Paul, done something Paul. clever. We need another 7,000 more signatures. So if you are in Massachusetts, anyone listening, if you're in Massachusetts, or if you know someone in Massachusetts right now, or if you have friends in Massachusetts, tell them to go to this page. And if you click on the thing saying, help get Dr. Sheeb, uh, uh, you know, your signature will get Dr. Sheeb on the ballot. If you click on that, and if we click on that, that'll go to a page. Um, if you click right on there, it says click here. That'll go to a page where you simply tell your friends in Massachusetts to put their first name, last name, et cetera, and we will mail them. It's a lot of money for us, about two to three bucks, to mail them a ballot form, a sheet, where they fill out. They just have to put their name on it. If you scroll down, there's that. they just put their name and they send it back to the town hall. We give them the stamps. We give them the envelopes. So we need 7,000 people to go up here and fill this out. So tell everyone to go to Shiva for Senate and you can just stay on the top and, and, and they don't have to do much except we'll ship it to them. They fill it out and we're done. Okay. So everyone tell people, oh yeah, Wookly Wook says I'm in Massachusetts. Great. Anyone in Massachusetts, go to that form, fill it out and you will get in the mail a petition given to you. Fill it out, submit it. And we only have about 10,000, um, 10, uh, 10 days left, so we need about 700 per day. We've already gotten about 500 in the last 24 hours. So people are wanting to support us. So that's the important thing, Pharaoh, that people need to understand, okay? We need to win, and this is a win for all of us. It's for truth, freedom, and health, but we need to get on the ballot. These guys, both parties are so afraid of me, they don't want me on the ballot, even though I'm running as a Republican. Let's talk about systems health. What is systems health? We can go back to video. System self is the following, you know, your body is a system, you know, this iPhone is a system, right? Your cell is a system, this, you know, this, uh, everything around us are systems. So what I wanted to do was to be able to understand the fundamental principles of all systems. And in many ways, it's sort of the science of everything. If you could understand the fundamentals of a computer, and maybe those same fundamentals are in your iPhone, maybe those same fundamentals run your body. So that is um, the discovery I made when I finished my PhD, went back to India to look at the traditional systems of Indian medicine. And what I found was that whether it's your body or whether it's your computer, they have the same set of principles that you can follow. Yes, sir. Transport, conversion, storage, three words. Transport, conversion, storage. Transport of energy, which means movement. There's you know movement of particles right here in this room conversion like digestion you know when you convert one thing to another or a or a solar panel converts light energy to electricity conversion then storage or structure for example the beams in this house which hold it up 
or the storage elements, right? So there's three forces in nature or three principles, transport, conversion, and storage. Well, it turns out that uh, the traditional systems of medicine, they also had transport, conversion, and storage, and they called it vata, pitta, kapha. So when my grandmother looked at your body, she was trying to figure out how much transport, conversion, and storage you had, right? Like a Ferrari has a lot, moves a lot, a lot of transport, an SUV has more storage. You see what I'm saying? Yes, sir. So every system in the universe has a property, a system property. And then once you understand your system property, forget organs and mo molecules and all that stuff for a second. Right. There's a different way to better understand the body, bodies, transport, conversion, storage. Every food has those properties. Caffeine increases transport. So if you're already a person who moves around fast and then you drink a lot of coffee, you're gonna basically go in balance, okay? Right. So if you go to yourbodyyoursystem.com, yourbodyyoursystem.com, what I did was I took, well, yeah, stay at Systems Health. So first of all, when I came back from MIT, um, I built a whole technology right there that we call it the Systems Health University where you can actually go learn, you can be become, you can learn the, the, the coursework or you can become a teacher. Um, instead of spending $200,000 at MIT, I, I figured out a much more reasonable way to do it. But even better than that, if you go to your body, your system on the top left, Farrell, I wanted to make something even more affordable for everyone is that I created a technology that you can use that you take a set of questions and it figures out the forces of transport can stop right there in you. That's that red dot. So that's your, where your body likes to be. Okay. When right. my grandmother looked at your face, then the, if you scroll down the black dot, if you answer a different set of questions is when you're deviated from you. Okay. Disturbances in your life. That's the black dot. Okay. And the black, the goal of life is to, you know, make sure your body is in homeostasis, which is a red dot. So next slide, if you go down, as you scroll down, you see that food is basically inputs, exercises are inputs. No different than if you're flying an airplane from Boston to San Francisco, it goes off course, which is a black dot. What do you do? You you have to change the height, the the more more you know more uh, fuel, and you bring it back into alignment. So the whole goal of life is to follow and be in alignment. And those are the forces of transport, conversion, and storage. Guess what? Foods have those properties, okay? You know, um, uh, foods that support digestion, like enzymes and hydrochloric acid, they're supporting the conversion process, right? Foods that support fat storage or build bulk, right? Those are the butters and the, the fats, right? They're important too. And then you have foods that support movement, like caffeine, right? Uh, things that make you move faster. So bottom line is you start understanding the body in a very different way. One of the things I wanted to announce, which I did, Farrow, is that if you go to um, um, if you go to um, how we've supported this in our campaign, if people go to shivaforsenate.com, and if people go there, um, when people donate to the campaign, as I mentioned earlier, um, is that we I want everyone to have access to this knowledge. And right. so what I did was, if you go to the uh, go to the main page, uh, the bus. If you click on the bus, oh, and okay. yep, and and you go to the main page, you know, um, yeah, the bus thing. Yeah, it's yep. loading. Oh, okay. So when it when it's loading, so you'll find out there's on the front page if you're going, there's a donate button, and people, you know, for a campaign, we got to raise money. But one of the things is I hate taking something for nothing. So right. when you when you go there, 
we had it. If you give 25 bucks, people get the book, which will teach you the theory and you get the tool like the lab. That's right. But one of the things is given what's going on in the, and, and, you know, 25 bucks I thought was nothing because we used to charge like 10 times that, a hundred times that. Okay. Uh, one of the things I want to do to help anyone out, whatever you can give, whatever you can give, I want to give you that tool. Okay. Whatever you can give. Okay. Uh, so forget the 25, if it's five or 10, the reason I want to do this because my great grandfather was a poor indentured servant, but one of the things he really believed in was education. And in, in his view, education was everything. And he would give the shirt off his back to someone if they didn't have, you know, access to education. Correct. Yeah, Shiva, Shiva for Senate. And yeah. so when people uh, just be mindful that I just decided to do this tonight, you know, not tonight, I mean I, a couple of hours ago, that a friend of mine was saying, how many people are getting unemployed? People are basically hurting themselves. So if you go there, take advantage of that. And if, if people are really, really destitute, email me and I'll see if I can get it to you for nothing. You know, sometimes you got to get something because sometimes people don't value it. Okay. So we put a, a number on there, but with the essential goal is, um, is for you to rec it's Shiva numeral four senate.com S H I V A numeral four. Right. So, um, the goal I, is, I, I, don't every, know, huh? I, said, I don't know why it's not loading. I thought it was my internet, but when I click around, oh. Yeah, when I click around, it's kind of all right. But when I click the site, I don't know why it's taking slow. Like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe uh, someone's, <laughs> maybe everyone's hitting it, right? Yeah. yeah, they might be. But before you continue, I, I just want to say that he is. Yeah, not, it, is, it is slow. Yeah. Yeah, he's not. He's not lying. Even though you know we can tell if someone's lying because we can feel, you know, bodily energy. But I want to let y'all know, he's not lying because that's how I got here. I donated. As y'all probably, you know, can assume I've been, I'll just let it low when it lows it low. But as y'all can probably assume, I've been all through that site. Uh, I've got the book and everything he said is factual. I donated. I got an email link back within 24 hours. And this is 100% factual. And uh, one of the last things I want to ask Dr. Shiva before he goes, because he's, he's, you know, he's, he's been kind enough to give us two hours of his time is, Upon the completion of your of your uh, certificate program, right? What all will your uh, certificate allow someone like myself to do? And which levels of uh, credentiality would it be respected? That's question one. And then yeah. right, the other half of that question would be for somebody such as myself who makes legal money which can be proven to be legal and be taxed because I'm a YouTuber for somebody such as myself, who is so interested in not just your mind, but your creation such as Cytosoft. And I'm very interested in genetics already. So you're like a beacon of gold light to me. How, uh, and we don't have to go into detail, but would you be open to individuals such as myself who may not be government employees, but citizens investing in you and, I wouldn't say apprenticeship, but let's say further developing the the rollout of Cytosol, whether it be facilitated, whether it be uh, introduced in, in, in community centers. Uh, would you be open to individuals such as myself interacting with you if I'm coming with my own finance? I'm not, you know, trying to drain you or anything. I'm just coming to add on. Is that something that Dr. Shiva is open to. And then the first half of that question to reiterate was, 
how how can I apply or or what you know level of credential would your certification allow me to operate after I complete your program? Yeah, so that's a good question. So you know the history of Systems Health. If you go to systemshealth.com, was this? You know, I initially did it as an initial lecture series at MIT. Systems Health. Go to Systems Health. Your body, your system is the application. Systems Health is really the institute. So go to systemshealth.com. S Y F T M S health.com. Um, by the way, we're looking into why the site is slow. You know, it's probably because a lot of people are hitting it. I mean, it's just been, it's just been growing the hits, but our guys are looking at it right now. But if you go to systemshealth.com, what you'll find is that I created a little institute here. And if you scroll down, excuse me, um, we have various programs. One is where you can go as a student and you can learn all the courses and you can get, certified then we also created a teacher training program that you can go and i think we give like 50 percent off now if you already are doing something you're in business where you uh just go stay up on the top you get access to the tool and you can become an educator and you can become almost an entrepreneur that if you want or you don't have to you get to educate others my goal is to decentralize education so we literally created a university online and once you, you can just learn it, which is a top part, or you can become an educator. And here, when you become an educator, you get access to a portal where with that portal, you can edu educate others. We give you videos and tools. It's called a dual pedagogy model. And you get certified. You have to pass an exam. And with that power, you can actually go into business. You know, you can go educate others through this way. And you can also teach others how their body is a system. And, and that's this that, Yes, that's the educator program. We decided some people don't want to teach. They just want to learn. They just want the knowledge. And to give you an idea, when I used to do this years ago, there was a guy called Deepak Chopra. Deepak had me come and teach it. We used to charge like something ridiculous, 2,500 bucks. And, you know, I'd have to go teach it, you know, by hand. And, and it was a lot of work. I enjoyed doing it. Here, the goal is to make it more accessible to more people and literally decentralize it so this spreads like a virus, you know? That's the goal. So systems health is that now when we talk about Cytosolve, Cytosolve, um, oh, Jen is saying it's working for her. Let me say Cytosolve is a different company. Cytosolve is really a capability where we can really do, you know, understanding of, you know, molecular pathways, right? And right. we can use that capability to really understand how, uh, how different ingredients work. So one of the cool ways we could talk about is, um, it's an entrepreneurial opportunity because what we're doing right now is we're finding people who have ideas. Like we, we have companies who come to us, Hey, I want to formulate a new product for pain, right? I want to formulate a new product for this. We're literally able to co-design new products with them, find out what works, apply for patent protection. So Cytosolve has really become a discovery engine. And that's something you may really enjoy, you know, that, because I definitely have some ideas that I'm not going to, uh, you know, they're not nothing crazy, but as you know, and I know people steal ideas. So right. I'm not going to, uh, that, that's a conversation me and you can have in private, but mm -hmm. I, yeah, but think about Cytosolve is an engine that allows you to create new, um, products, right? Yes. And we, as a part of that, we figure out the mechanisms of action, which according to the 11th circuit court ruling, um, the 11th Circuit Court, exactly. Deepak Chopra about them. Yeah. Yeah. The, Deepak is all about money. And I was less about money. You know, I was more about education. So that's why 
I brought it back in-house, which is my stuff, and the goal was to educate as many people as possible. That's why the Your Body, Your System, I mean, it's worth a lot, but my goal is to get it out there, right? What's more, worth more is people learn the knowledge. And but Cyberfall, we should do a follow-up conversation, Farrell. Yes, we can sir. talk about some cool entrepreneurial ways. Yep. Yeah, whenever you're free, you know, I'm on your yeah. time. Whenever you're free, yeah. I won't hold you too long. I'll get ready to end this. But I, what I will want to tell you, what I do want to say is, before we even had this conversation, I was on my way up in that program. I'm already halfway through a PowerPoint based off of what I've, what I've oh. you. So well, I'm which one did you do? The your body, your system, or the the uh, the I, system self? I did uh, your body, your system, and I'm here okay. now, and I'm getting ready to enroll in that. I just wanted to wait till I interviewed you to ask you. Okay. How far? Yeah. Go. The, the, the system and revolution book is a great book. It's basically taking all my knowledge of control systems theory. So people don't have to go to, you know, four years at MIT that you can really learn. And then I created a trilogy called Systems Health, which is that book, which pretty much will teach you a whole different way of looking at the body, looking at systems, um, looking at your life. It's a whole different way of understanding. Um, uh, it's a new science. So is this book, would you, I know, of course, these are, you know, these have different. Kinds. I would just get your system. Yeah, I would get the trilogy right there on the right. All right. I'm about to get that yeah. right. Yeah. Let me buy that now online. But anyway, okay. what I wanted to say is I'm yeah. I'm getting ready to enroll in that program. Yeah, we should talk later. We should, you know, the goal is for me to create a lot of people who can teach others, you know, and, and the idea is to decentralize knowledge. So basically people become their own little universities, you see? Yeah. And you could, you could run a course in your home and you could start, I mean, people can make money off this. You can give it away free. My issue is whatever model that works for you. In, in, in even in the your body your system when you get it we give you so many uses of it but if you want to give it away you can give it away if you want to charge you can charge there's a whole billing system in it the whole idea is if you want to be entrepreneurial you can if you want to just be a a philanthropist you can it's all up to you it's it's pretty open source in that sense what model you want to build yes sir and yep. uh, I, just, I just purchased your book i won't share my screen okay. though on my information up but what i will let you know is I'm going to be one of your star students and I'm going That's to awesome. go this program. And yeah. We could, yeah. Well, you're going to be a star teacher too. Cause one of our models is learn, teach and serve. When yes, you sir. learn, you get the knowledge. When you teach, you learn. And when you serve, you get to learn and teach. That's so, right. uh, Dr. Shiva, I don't want to hold okay, you. Thank you. Be well. Hold you too long. I want to let you know you have our, our complete, I hate using the word blessed. Cause I don't know if you know the word blessed means to sprinkle blood. So I don't like using that word. But you have, yeah, you have our complete inner light energy with you. Everybody in Massachusetts, I've been traveling around this country for too damn long. I know I got family in Massachusetts. Get this man beyond the ballots that he need. Don't get him to the requirement. Get him beyond the requirement. This is exactly that's mandatory. This is coming from me. Now I got to get to yelling and doing what I do. Get this man beyond what he need. Get him in the Senate. There is no failure. There is no, this. that's the mission. And so I want everybody to show Dr. Shiva some love in this chat for coming in and innovating your mind because that is what he just did. And this is why the truth must always be allowed to present itself to, to the public so that they can see, for, so that people can see for themselves what the truth is. If Dr. Fauci, excuse me, Fraud Fauci was on this live with us, you would have been able to see the truth, but I'm glad he's not 
because I don't even want to hear his voice. And so with that being said, Dr. Shiva, we look forward to you getting in the Senate because we're going to make sure you get in the Senate. Exactly. Thank you. All my celebrity friends, my UFC fighter friends, my rap friends. I ain't got to call no names. Get him in there now. Tweet it now. Get him in there now. Get make get your whole following in there it, or it's quiet. Don't say nothing else to me. And with that being said, Dr. Fauci, we love you for coming on. I look forward to Shiva. <laughs> Dr. Shiva. Sorry, Dr. <laughs> Shiva. We, we, we thankful for you coming on. I look forward to uh staying in touch with you. And um it's, it's going to be a beautiful journey, and I'm going to yeah, great. Yeah, we should touch. Yeah, call me. Call me later this week. We'll go over Cytosol and Systems Health, and you know, help 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 you support what yes, you want to do. You're I'm, learning. Thank you. Have a beautiful evening. Thank you. Be well. Best all right. to all of you.